This episode of How To Wrestling was requested by Stephen Shepard, one of our lovely backers over at patreon.com forward slash howtowrestling. And hey, you can support the show and access over 50 exclusive episodes by becoming just a $5 backer. My life has become too stressful. I have to serve tea to a snooty English person and my acid reflux is so bad that I'm spewing green mist. <laughs> Relax, Kevin. Have you played the Muscle Hustle? It's super fun and available for free on Google Play and the App Store. And as the best things in life are free, you can get a free gift from your best podcast pals, that's us, by putting in the code HOWTOTAJIRI to get a special gift in game. If you're an independent creator or wrestling brand looking to get a shout out on our show, send us a lovely email to howtowrestling at gmail.com. But for now, let's dive in and enjoy our new episode. It's time for How To Tajiri. friends and welcome to their episode of How To Wrestling, the world's first podcast detailing how to wrestling, how to get into wrestling, how to understand wrestling, and goodness knows maybe even how to enjoy wrestling. And hello everyone once again, today we are talking about the Japanese buzzsaw, the mist spewing, lethal kicking man from Japan, and I am the explaining man from Mullingar area? No, that doesn't work. No. Hi, I'm Kevin. I'm from Ireland. <laughs> Join us, am always, in this look through all of wrestling's characters, performers, moments, and match types by my better half, Joe Graham. Hello. How are you doing today, Joe? I'm pretty good, thank you. Yeah, are you excited to talk about today's special wrestler? Yes, Yee. my boy. So today we're talking about a wrestler who since I was a wee lad, has always had a very special place in my heart. And without spoiling or getting ahead of ourselves, is it safe to say that Tajiri has misted his way into your feelings? Definitely. I bloody love Tajiri. He is absolutely, without a doubt, one of my top fave wrestlers and human beings. Whoa! I mean, I'm going to ask you now, maybe... What is the character Tajiri? Who is Tajiri? How could you explain him for someone who maybe has just seen the fabulous artwork for this episode by Dan? Yeah, first of all, Dan's artwork is fucking magical oh. for this. I love it. I want this printed and framed. Beautiful, isn't it? Like, I just want a massive... I want our house to just be this artwork. And just every day when I leave the house, I say goodbye to a massive print of Tajiri. <laughs> Kiss him goodbye. And hopefully they'll get you that mist on your lips. Or oh, if you like get that. the mist on your lips, it's good luck. So <laughs> never have to wash it away. <laughs> I always love as well, like when we get to do episodes about, you know, maybe not the biggest name in wrestling. I think sometimes people might think this podcast is just us to, to go through every top name, top to bottom. And wrestling's not just all about the, the big names. Wrestling is about the, the colourful characters, and wrestling is about the kind of the behind the scenes people, and also about these standalone people like Tajiri who may not be his biggest star. And you don't get to see Tajiri get fan art all the time. And I, no. love, I love when Dan gets yeah. to go to town on someone like Tajiri. Yeah, who I think is so deserving of fan art. Like, he's so iconic and yeah. cool and stylized and just... Uh. Anyway, back to your question. Mm. I actually don't know anything about Tajiri's character. Ooh. I mean, I know, I know Tajiri, mm. the human being and character, are both Japanese. Yes. I know that he sprays a green mist that may blind people... <laughs> Um, Is this the first wrestler you've seen who sprayed mist at someone? I think so. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's it's the only one. How would you describe the the mist? Because I mean, Ooh. people are going like, a mist. So how does a how does a wrestler <laughs> produce a, a mist? Is he what does he lift up his leg? Has he got like a poison gland or something? Yes, <laughs> yes, he has a poison gland. No, he. I don't know how he does it. I've been trying to keep an eye out in every match we've watched for this mm. to see how on earth he does it. I still don't know. All I know is he has a combination of like green food colouring and water in his mouth somehow, either for the whole fucking match magically or he like sneakily takes a swig of this liquid without anyone ever seeing. I don't know. But then he kind of spits it <laughs> into his opponent's face but he does it through his teeth so it kind of like sprays like a mist it's very impressive it is very impressive and you know what i won't i won't lie i've actually tried to do this with water oh really in the bath where there's no mess you know? in the bath <laughs> up in the air so you kind of inhale a little bit of like bath no 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 i take my sparkles bottle of water bubbles uh no it's really difficult to do and i there's an art there. Yeah, I mean, speaking of someone who can cobra spit quite No one knows what that is. What can you describe? I mean, I don't do the mist. I'll I have my it. own unique gimmick. It's where Kevin spits on Sam Chaplin and Sam <laughs> gets really sad. Whoa, hang on there. <laughs> Fucking exclusive Kevin spits on his car. That's how <laughs> Sam would describe it. Yeah, and I thought you'd have my back. What the fuck? <laughs> okay, you kind of activate your salivary glands in a way that projects saliva from your mouth there you go it's the hot liquids that would form the saliva yeah and it right. comes out in kind of a jet stream almost you know and i've not done it on anyone in several years and i've not even it's not even a coloration and it's not like tajiri where it's obviously just some gimmick thing yeah. that he sneaks in this is a shoot biological magic. magical function right. that, that i've been taught to do like so <laughs> He sprays mist. He sprays mist. He's from Japan. He's from Japan. He does big kicks. Big kicks. Mm. How big are these kicks? Massive kicks. Would it be accurate to say he is a practitioner of strong style? I think absolutely in the sense that he hits hard. But Tajiri, unlike a lot of maybe more purist strong style folks, doesn't actually beat the fucking bejesus out of his opponent. Oh, really? So that's the thing about Strong Style is that it, it just hurts. There should be a legitimacy to Strong Style. Like, uh, the, the, the most Strong Style thing in the world I can think of is someone getting their forearm here and smashing it up against someone's chest and making right. a big... It's not going to, you know, damage you massively. It's going to make a solid collision noise and it probably will make, you know, swelling and red marks and all that. Or like open hand chops where it's like... Psh- and a big fucking handprint appears. Right. That's proper strong style. Or a proper submission where your arms are torqued or your legs are in a terrible position. Tajiri is a little bit uh, a little bit more wizardry, let's just say, to what he what he does. Because uh, it sounds pretty hard hitting. Yeah, I mean the noises that he makes when he kicks are fucking phenomenal. Yeah, and he doesn't he doesn't hit his thigh to do them. No, the, the, the thigh slap. Yeah, and in, in wrestling, a lot of wrestlers wear like latexy kind of clothes and then slap their thigh because it makes this awesome sound. Mm. And don't get me wrong, I love it when wrestlers do that, but Tajiri doesn't have to. He does it sometimes. Oh, really? Sometimes, but he doesn't do it every time. That's the thing. And there's a lot of wrestlers where it's like every time it's like... And just like, it's like getting on a fucking hold there, like, woo! Woo-hoo! It's like that Mario Party minigame where you have to go, you know, the, the, the little uh, dancing uh, horse riding one. Uh, I feel like it can be given away a bit too much. Tajiri, and not to like fucking ruin kayfabe for everyone, uh, put your fingers in your ears, 
because he wears the long swishy leather pants, mm. he actually will use the kind of flare of them. Like Shinsuke. Yes, exactly. And that flare kind of makes a big, sh- you yeah. know, noise. And maybe with an added smack or a clap here and there, you get the effect that this man seems to be kicking the absolute shit out of people. Uh, right, so we kind of... I'm still describing Tajiri, describe I guess. Tajiri, yeah. And I guess the other thing about Tajiri that I'm aware of is his body movement and his facial expressions. Mm. He's He moves like a cat, just Tajiri. He kind of crawls around, yeah. slinks. He does kind of like hunch over a little bit, doesn't yeah. he? He makes himself, unlike most wrestlers, appear to be shorter than he yeah. actually is. Yeah, he lowers himself, which I think is really clever because like, in kayfabe, you're lowering your centre of gravity as well, which makes sense. Yeah. But, you know, usually you have to have shoulders out, shoulders back, chest out. Like, yeah, you like, know? make yourself look as tall as possible. Whereas Tajiri kind of hunched over, mm. kind of arms and shoulders up kind of above. He's hunched, like. And he always has a secret smile. <laughs> like, he knows something. His secret smile can often be a very sweet smile, in some cases, or a funny, comedic little smile. A cheeky one, yeah. Sometimes it can be a very scary smile. Honestly, even his scary smiles, I think, are quite cute. <laughs> oh my god, I don't want to get into some of the bloody matches that we were going to look at, maybe. <laughs> but a, I know a lot of people have said they find Tajiri genuinely frightening, and mm. did in their youth as well. And that's something I can't relate to. I can't find him frightening. Yeah. And I think it's because I just, I love him so much. Mm. It's the same as, like, I want to be able to find Braun Strowman frightening, because I, I love him. You follow him on Instagram, aka yeah. how to not find Braun Strowman scary. Like, <laughs> you're really impassionate to fucking Instagram posts about cyberbullying. <laughs> it's not on. You know, I love fucking Braun on Instagram. Yeah. yeah. And that's the thing. When I find out I, I like a person genuinely in mm. real life, it's kind of like, and I'm not saying that it's like ruined Tajiri for me. I don't, I mind that. Like, I still can see that he is an intimidating opponent and he can be scary to his opponents. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny that you should mention that because I've done some uh, extensive attempted research here to try and find out as much as I can about the backstory of Tajiri and also his uh, many, many like uh, rumours and, and whatnot about Tajiri over the years. But one of the things that he's mentioned regularly is anytime he's asked about the green mist, he says it tastes like wasabi. And I feel that that might make him your dream opponent if you were to step in between those four ropes of the squared circle. It tastes like wasabi. That's what he says, yeah. It tastes like wasabi. It's a spicy green mist. Why does it taste like wasabi? And also, no wonder it's supposed to blind his opponents. I know, but I mean, you love wasabi. Well, yeah, but I don't want it in my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Just wear goggles and like you bring a load of sashimi or whatever it is you want. Be like, yeah, come on, give it to me. Oh no, not more green mist. Oh, a light dusting of wasabi over all of this with sushi oh damn God, yeah because that's like my least favorite thing about eating sushi is the application of the wasabi it's difficult it's it? really hard you need like special tools to do it properly <laughs> if tajiri just sprayed it all over the whole plate it would be so much more efficient i think they should invent like a little i don't know like a wasabi mister and then it could be in the shape of tajiri and you can <laughs> squeeze it and it sprays out its mouth tajiri mist how they never made any sort of like atomizer yeah. or a little like kind of breath sp- a breath spray or anything that has a little tajiri face on it Say the door is wide open there for some marketability. Like. Seriously. But if it tastes of wasabi, does that not mean that... Because he has to keep it in his mouth for quite a long time. I think it could be that old kayfabe that's coming up to the surface again that he's trying to... Uh, oh, he's lying. He, <laughs> that's a much less fun way of looking <laughs> at it. But yes, the wrestler lied for the benefit <laughs> of story he told in Terry Fibb. Now, Tajiri's an interesting one because 
we got a load, a load, a load, a load of tweets about Tajiri. I mean, we got a fucking crazy amount. Although a lot of the tweets uh, were, were saying a lot of the th- a lot of things on the similar lines, and a lot of the tweets for people were, I remember the first time I saw Tajiri, and it was unlike anything I had ever seen. And for me, Tajiri was the first Japanese wrestler that I saw who was not portrayed as a joke or a comedic kind of character. Um, he was obviously initially had comedic tendencies, but when he was wrestling, I first saw him wrestle, he was no joke. But interestingly, you even have a story you say about the first time you saw Tajiri. Do you remember seeing him? Yeah, I remember him coming back for the Cruiserweights in, was it, what, 2017? And I remember this little middle-aged Japanese man who looked so, like, so unique, Mm. but also so not intimidating but also totally enigmatic. Like, he had this twinkle in his eye that was like, ha, 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 ha. Like, no fear whatsoever. Mm. But he's this... I don't want to say he's old. It's not fair. He's not old. Because he's... he's a fucking some sort of fountain of youth yeah. secret uh, that Tajiri has access to. <laughs> where he's, he's not aged. Yeah, he's not really aged at all. Um, but he still has this kind of, like... <laughs> aura of a slightly older man yeah he's got a a, a, a mystique about him yeah. almost yeah and i just thought he looked fantastic i loved how he's quite short his body type is really interesting to me and like the shape of him is so solid and so like just he's very much like centered into the ground yeah, like, you yeah. really can tell that you're not going to be able to push him over and he's not going to fall and stuff and he almost looks like he should be a bit slow. And then when you see him wrestle and he's just like so fucking fast and so hard hitting and he does all these flips and does all this technical style wrestling and he just can do everything. And then he, he sprays mist. Then he sprays point. mist. <laughs> and I just, I love him. I love everything about him. And I will never forget just seeing him for the first time and just like immediately was like, oh, I love this guy. I remember very vividly watching that Cruiserweight Classic with you. Tajiri was announced and I was like literally hopping on a leg. Yeah. "Ah, I'm so excited. And there was a little part of me that was like, oh God, I'm getting all excited now about this wrestler who I've probably not seen wrestle in, (laughs) you know, around 13 years or thereabouts. Jesus. You know, it's been a while. He left, he left, you know, early 2000s from WWE. And I was like, oh God, I hope he's not like kind of going to be a bit shit and just here to like kind of fill out numbers. So I tried to keep quiet about my super nerdy fandom. And then he fucking kicked ass. I was like, ah, is <laughs> the best. Unbelievable. So Joe, we talked very briefly in Shinsuke Nakamura's episode about the young boy system in Japan and how the typical path for a Japanese wrestler mm. to go from a rookie to a veteran. Do you remember any of the details of that? I do. So a young boy is a very fresh green wrestler who's just started training and wants to become a, a big wrestler someday. A, a big grown-up wrestler. A big grown-up wrestler. <laughs> like daddy. Um, <laughs> the path from young boy to old man is treacherous. <laughs> but basically a young boy, their task is to clean up after shows, disassemble and reassemble the ring, carry stuff, Mm. serve the more established wrestlers, the veterans, and just anyone basically who's higher up the food chain than you. I think that involves bringing them food, cooking them food. Um, Really, really, really long hours. And then on top of all that, you are trained by wrestlers who whose entire mission is to basically show you that wrestling is really difficult and it's <laughs> probably not the job for you. <laughs> uh, very interesting moments here on the podcast, always when kind of 
the streams cross in different episodes, kind of people featuring them in weird ways. But you remember when we talked about Mick Foley in a recent episode and he went to Japan and him and Terry Funk had those matches that were too violent <laughs> in, in IWA Japan. <laughs> well, it's very funny. Uh, going back and uh, I made sure to note it when we were looking through Foley's book for the episode. But Foley mentioned specifically in IWA Japan when he was there with Terry Funk and Tracy Smothers and some others, the young boy whose job it was to carry the Gaijin's bags was Tajiri. Oh, wow. So Tajiri's first start into wrestling would have been carrying the bags that had the clean clothes for the bloody Terry Funk and Mick Foley, like, you know. Which is just, like, really weird to see these worlds kind of cross over in a very little way. Yeah. But Tajiri has not got the typical path to becoming, you know, your Japanese archetype wrestler. So how so, then? Because young boy is if you're in japan yeah and i think this goes for male and female wrestlers that is that's the route you want to be a wrestler you become a young boy yeah well tajiri was a young boy but in a different sense tajiri started training in like 94 93 thereabouts and he was with that company uh, iwa but the reason he was with that company iwa is because it also had promotions in uh, puerto rico and had connections in Mexico. Because Tajiri, believe it or not, his dream was not to be a great Japanese strong-style wrestler. His dream was actually to be a Mexican luchador. Oh my god! Which immediately, for me as someone who loves all these different styles, explains his uniqueness so, so much. Yeah, there is. There is a total lucha style. And he's often been kind of tagged because he uses the green mist, and he took a lot of mannerisms from some kind of famous Japanese wrestlers in the late 90s, like the Great Muta, Great Muta would spray mist and wear kind of baggy pants and stuff like that. And often as a result, people were like, oh, Tajiri, his hero was the Great Muta and that's why he does what he does. His hero was actually uh, Asai and Ultimo Dragon. Ultimo Dragon were the greatest luchadors of all time who made a career for himself in both Japan and Mexico. And Tajiri actually studied Spanish and economics at university. Wow, that's so cool. that's how he kind of got his in, because he started training, and there was a guy called Victor Canunos, who was the promoter in IWA Japan, and Victor Canunos was part Puerto Rican, and he was like, right, you can come here, you can train and wrestle in Japan, and then we'll get you uh, spots to actually get a proper run in places like Puerto Rico. You can speak Spanish, so I'll make sure you're well looked after, because... That means that, you know, I've got someone who can speak Spanish when I bring in luchadors or mm. someone who can uh, be a, a bridge between these two companies. Now, I'm not coming out here for, for conspiracy theories, but I do have to show you Victor Caninos for one quick second. Victor Caninos, he was mentioned by Tajiri several times as his greatest friend and mentor in wrestling starting off because he was the promoter and he really helped him aspire to this dream that maybe not a lot of Japanese wrestlers had, which was to wrestle in Mexico and Puerto Rico. Uh, he never, by the way, Tajiri, ever aspired to wrestle in New Japan. He never wanted to go to America. He wanted to work in Mexico City. That was all of his dream, at the start and end of it. But Victor Canunos, while I was reading up about him, I'd never heard of him before, but he looks like a really cool guy there, right? I've got a picture here for Joe of old Victor Canunos. He's got his big glasses, big cigar, big face, big, big sunglasses there. Now, Victor Caninos, it is alleged, is actually the secret love child of a wrestler and commentator who we talked about recently on an episode. Now, you've mentioned this to me. I think you mentioned this like a couple of days ago. You were like, can you think of who this person looks like? Like completely out of the blue. I was like, no, it doesn't look like anyone. But you actually told me, I don't know if you remember, you told me who it is. So I do actually know. Yeah. 
And since you told me, I can kind of see a resemblance. Kind of. So it's Gorilla Monsoon. Will you stop? Will you stop? And who is the other person? Oh, we don't know. But just a wrestler. Yeah, it's the, the Caninos family. Uh, so it's it's a, 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 a I believe the Puerto Rican woman was was Victor's mother, and it was alleged that Victor was the love child of Gorilla Monsoon, and it'd been rumored for years and years and years. And when Gorilla Monsoon passed. His name was mentioned in the obituary, like his son Victor. And that's the <gasps> only time ever. Oh and apparently only Gorilla knew and he took the secret with him to his grave. Oh, so that's really sad. It's just, again, I, <laughs> I didn't think when we started to do that I'd be like, by the way, links to the Bobby Heenan and Mick Foley episodes. Yeah. As well as inevitably the William Regal episode we'll talk about in a bit. But yeah, interesting stuff. It is pretty amazing. He does look like a just a much more bearded... More yeah. modern Gorilla Monsoon. It does feel a little bit like Gorilla, like he is almost trying to make you think he's Gorilla Monsoon, particularly with them glasses, you know? Yeah. I've heard a lot of rumours, and that's all it is, is rumours that old uh, Victor Caninos there is the son of Gorilla Monsoon, as well as being the mentor and confidant of old Yoshihiro Tajiri. Mm. So Tajiri ended up working for a whole bunch of different promotions. He worked in IWA in Puerto Rico. He worked for CMLL. So he got to achieve his dream quite quickly of, of wrestling in, in Mexico. And he was one of the few Japanese wrestlers who could actually speak Spanish. It was a bit of a job, of course, to find out that Tajiri could even speak Spanish in the first place. But as we'll get into later, and some of you may already know, Tajiri sometimes has uh, an interesting relationship with the truth as it pertains to his ability to speak certain languages. <laughs> Tajiri even popped up in WWF very briefly as a jobber in 1997. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, young, young, young Tajiri. Oh, I'd love to see that. Looking like he's in the Beatles. Mm. And he was scouted by Paul Heyman in 1998, wrestling down in Mexico. Heyman wanted to bring in some more luchadors because WCW had who up all the ones that they had already gotten, like uh, Rey Mysterio and Conan and whatnot. So he brings in Tajiri into ECW alongside Super Crazy and a few other luchadors. The idea being, Heyman would just see people having great matches in another company and then go, right, come here and do those matches yeah. here instead. I don't know, could you get away with that these days, I wonder? What do you mean that is exactly what they're doing? <laughs> That's true, Isn't actually. it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just like, it's it's great that like ECW was very good at being like, oh, we're showing you these unique matches. It's like, well, if you're in Mexico, those weren't unique matches because no. we were seeing a lot of those. Like Same with Masato Tanaka and Mike Austin we talked about in a previous episode. You just saw it in another company and just took it wholesale and put it in there. I mean, I couldn't speak on behalf of like other countries, but that's mm. definitely what WWE has done in the UK. Yeah. like There's this certain certain circuit of wrestlers who do a certain style and they've all been signed now mm. and you're starting to see it on WWE and it seems very fresh to people who haven't been familiarising themselves with British style wrestling. Yeah, that's true. And now it's becoming more mainstream. I think, yeah, if you're someone who's maybe watching a lot of the indies, maybe NXT and NXT UK, for instance, mightn't be as fresh and invigorating as it is for a lot of us who maybe haven't been up to date on all of yeah. those companies. So, Super Crazy was his kind of, his arch rival in ECW. He had fucking millions of matches with Super Crazy. And I decided to show Joe, it's one of Tajiri's favourite matches. And we're not going into it in, in detail, just to, to see how his character changed. 
we watched his first pay-per-view match in ECW at uh, Guilty as Charged, 1999. Young Tajiri, how is he different from the more crooked, wizardly-looking Tajiri of later years? I mean, he basically looks the same, except mm. he doesn't have a goatee and his hair is like the Beatles from the 60s. <laughs> That's the only difference. Hair. Oh, and he's wearing pants, not yeah. trousers. He looks so unassuming, He I does, think. yeah. Oh, and his... His body shape is slightly different. He's a bit more typical wrestler of the time mm. at this point. I remember seeing these matches like when I was like, I got big into Tajiri in like 2001 and two, and then my friend who was a big ECW fan I was like, oh, I'll show you some of his matches. And he comes out like without a goatee, all you know, straight laced, and his plain boots and tights. I'm like, that's not real Tajiri, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like his outfit. It's cute. So Tajiri had kind of a, a bit of a character change then in, in late 98 and 1999. He adopted the moniker of the Japanese buzzsaw. And I think we got some tweets from people who said that they were a little bit scared of Tajiri. Mm-hmm. And I think this would have been the, the, the time when Tajiri maybe started to make people a bit more scared because he would be very sadistic in the ring. He was part of that evil network stable we talked about in our ECW episode. Uh, the, the group that was there to destroy ECW because they wanted better ratings. <laughs> it doesn't make as good a sense when I say it like that. But um, yeah, his whole gimmick was that he would you know, beat people up mercilessly. He would do like really horrible submission holes just to cause pain. One of the moves he developed at that time was... The Tarantula, which Ooh. is a very scary move. Could you describe the Tarantula for the folks at home? I honestly don't know if I could. It's really complicated, and I'm not even <laughs> sure I... Like, I can. I know it when I see it, yeah. but it's not the kind of thing where I don't think I could explain it to someone, I'm afraid. Uh, where where does it take place, maybe? Okay, well, it takes place against the ropes. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a little confused, because the matches we've watched, he does, like, a variation of the Tarantula true, yeah. every time. And he seems to manage to to pull his opponent into the trancher from like any any place direction, even if they're nowhere near the ropes. He somehow manages to like get them there. <laughs> like one time when he did it, he was in he was at the turnbuckle like upside down, yeah. and then leaned backwards over the outer ring, grabbed the guy's ankles from behind, and then like pulled him up. And it was just I. I I'm explaining this really badly. No, I think again there. You it's know. really complicated and it involves lots of arms and legs and him pulling them over the ropes, basically. I think basically what Tajiri does is he folds up his opponent like it's a tray table and then puts them safely in the overhead cabin. <laughs> he kind of compartmentalizes them and then just puts mm. them up. <laughs> <laughs> so we will put up some recommended viewing of Tajiri in ECW, but it's safe to say if you see Tajiri in ECW, and the name is alongside either Lil Guido or Jerry Lynn or Super Crazy, you're almost guaranteed it's going to be a fucking incredible match, which is, honestly, to think back now, these matches are 20 years ago. And when you look at like NXT and stuff that's really cutting edge, this stuff is so close to that. Yeah. It's so far ahead of its time. It's yeah. unbelievable. It really is. It could totally... You could just literally edit this into NXT. Yeah. Like, oh, who are these new new wrestlers? They're pretty good. 
So, there was many matches which we were going to look at for ECW, but this one is uh, almost a tribute to uh, my friend of mine, Cahill, who was the biggest Tajiri fan in the world. I went to WrestleMania with Cahill, and the first night out I went with Cahill, where you find out that my friend who likes wrestling really likes wrestling, and he got a little bit drunk and actually mimicked this match out in a bar in Galway for me, like, of why he loved it so much. And I was like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to include this match. It is Tajiri versus Steve Carino, from ECW's Hardcore Heaven 2000. Uh, can we have a little moment to talk about ECW's graphics that we have uh, on the network where they've had to pull the old 1998 and 2000 graphics up there? You know, like the weird, like, man with fire fists and the Oh, crappy... yeah! Yeah, it was uh, ugly. Yeah. Very ugly. Bad graphic design. I'm not surprised. I, I take it here, Joe, you are a graphic design maestro. You mm. designed the, the, the graphic for How To. You designed it for Cinema Swirl mm-hmm. and Cinema Swill. Mm-hmm. How do ECW fare up, would you say, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10 for their graphics? Okay, right. Now, this is complicated, though, because while I personally would rate it as minus 10 <laughs> in personal taste... Yeah. There is no denying it is effective branding for the company at the time. Mm, that's very true. You know, it's this is this is the era of flame pants and flame shirts. That's true. Even Tajiri wears a flame shirt yeah. at this point in time as well. And so. somehow pulls it off. So yeah, it sucks. But can you imagine if it like had modern graphic design principles at this time? They'd have probably called it gay. <laughs> <laughs> So we have Tajiri versus Steve Carino in ECW Hardcore Heaven 2000. And because it's ECW, it means that everything's legal, weapons, all that stuff, incredibly uh, violent. Not enough love for Tajiri's first name, his forename, Yoshihiro. Yoshihiro is a great name. Oh, from Yamamoto, Japan, Yoshihiro Tajiri. Mm-hmm. It just sounds like fucking beautiful wind when yeah, you say it. it I does. love it. It does. He's got an immediate presence when he comes out, I feel like. When he comes out particularly in that small ECW stage through all the dry ice. With his cool music. Oh, right. We've mentioned before that Tajiri's music uh, on another podcast, that is, his music in WWE, that dun, 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 very much like a Goemon song. Mm. But his music here when he comes out where it's all... Dun, 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 I prefer this music. It's an underground level in Goemon. Yes. <laughs> sewer of, level. Yeah, sewer or an underground temple mm. or something like that. I also need to, at this point, just maybe dive in a little bit deep on Tajiri's trousers. Yes. I've spoken a lot about Tajiri's trousers. What do your What do you make of the baggy leather? Of, flame of pants. Flame pants, baby. I like them. I like them a lot. I mean, they're ugly as hell, but I think he pulls them off. It makes them... It makes him look squatter, mm. makes him look shorter and wider, and I love that. Big love for the sash. Yes, which again makes him look shorter. So he, always, he holds the yeah. sash on his kind of belt the whole time, and it gives him this... I mean, no one ever talks about that in wrestling, but the stance, the way you plant mm. your two feet on the ground... Makes a huge difference. Makes a huge difference. The character starts there, like. Yeah. And Tajiri, for someone who probably in his entire career spoke... Very, very little. Mm. And when he did, he spoke in a language that you weren't meant to, as the audience understands. You know his character from the way he presents himself and the way he holds himself in the ring. I think that's like a lot to be said for that. He oozes confidence. Mm, absolutely. Like, you can just tell from the way he walks and moves and looks that there is like no 
shred of doubt in his mind that he could defeat his opponent. Yes. When he's got that smile that you mentioned, like when he comes out, like Steve Carino comes out his opponent and he's all like all angry and like, you know, I'm here to fight. And Taji just comes out with that smile. He turns, he starts nodding to the audience like, you know what I'm going to do to this guy. Like, I'm going to fucking kill yeah. him, like, and this is going to be fun. It's Arr! so much cooler than typical angry man. Absolutely. So, typical angry man Steve Carino cuts a typical angry ECW in the year 2000 promo. Super racist. Where do you stand on this now? Because... Well, on Carino... racism. <laughs> What's your opinion on racism? Can the racists not just get along with the uh, non-racists? <laughs> but, I mean... Some would say that this is an acceptable presentation because Steve Carino, the obvious heel here, uses racial slurs mm. and you know racist language and comments against Tajiri, and Tajiri just stands there looking at him. And then the commentary immediately is like, as soon as Tajiri just beats him and you know smacks him in the face, he's like, "Well, Tajiri's had enough of those unacceptable racist comments." One of them said, um, "So basically, what what Steve Carino says, I think he calls him a squinty." I'd bastard or something bastard, like that. Bastard, yeah, something like that. I mean, like, yeah. objectively racist. Yeah. And then one of the guys on commentary goes, a squinty-eyed bastard? Are we even allowed to say that? And Uh-oh. then the other guy goes, absolutely not. Stop. So he doesn't say it's racist. Mm. I think. No, he does say it. No, he does definitely use the word really? racist. He said racist comments. Yeah. Joey Styles definitely said okay, that. Okay, well, I missed that. Okay. If he says it's racist... That makes it at least a little bit more okay. Now, I still think when it comes to when it comes to comments like that, I still think it's inappropriate because like, I know I know it's ECW, so it's not for kids. No, but a lot of the people in the crowd will probably go, Way! Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like it's it's a bit dodgy in the way that still I feel that WWE specifically can't get away with like even going close to like mm. racial angles because their audience isn't educated enough to know what's you being worked and mm. what's just like hey racism 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 <laughs> so yeah i think it's it's difficult this is definitely one of the i hate even saying this one of the better examples of racism <laughs> in ecw so joe which racism is best <laughs> which is your favorite rank all the racisms um <laughs> the fact that it gets called out as being unacceptable Good. By one of the commentators. By one of the commentators. The fact that it's a heel saying it. Good. Mm. The fact that it's said at all. Bad. Yeah. I think there's there's cleverer wording you could use to still imply what you're getting at without Mm. it actually being like an outright offensive racist statement. The kind of gimmick or the storyline of this is that Steve Carino kind of saw the Tajiri, the young Tajiri we saw, he saw that he had this unlimited potential and like was obviously going to be a killer. So he kind of just attached himself to him. He's like, I'm going to teach you how to do things the American way. Like, <laughs> I'm going to be your, your kind of your guiding light. And that's how he got into the network and whatnot. And the idea was that Tajiri was being exploited essentially by these ne'er-do-wells who kind of were taking advantage of his naivety, so to speak. And this moment here is Tajiri kind of fighting back against his oppressors, so to speak. I see. Which means it's very, very fun to watch Tajiri beat the absolute bejesus out of Steve Carino. Mm-hmm. I have not seen a beating like this in some time on this podcast. Quite upsetting. Uh, Steve Carino, within a minute... Starts bleeding. Yeah, and it's disgusting as well how he starts bleeding. Tajiri bites him. Ah! Like, in the face. Now, you're not a fan of the Tree of Woe. This has been established long now in How To yep. Canon. I hate it. Tajiri does a lot of Tree of Woe-based offense. Yeah. 
does Tajiri make it a little bit more believable for Some, you? Sometimes he does. Mm. Sometimes he will hook his opponent's feet under the rope and then I like it. Okay. I'm very particular about my trees of woe. Mm. Tree of woes? Trees of woe? Trees of woe. Where, and where does the apostrophe go in there? Oh, like? God. Yeah, it's a whole other kind uh. of fish. <laughs> I am a big fan of the corner drop kick that he does when the person is in the tree of woe. It means they're upside down the corner. Mm. Tajiri does like a baseball slide into their face. And he usually goes, ah, beforehand as well. It makes a re- He makes these high-pitched noises sometimes. Yes. Which I absolutely love. Where, like, there's one time I remember very distinctly, very early watching Tajiri, and he did, like, a spitting DDT, and he went, ew, when That's he did so it. Cool. And I thought that was the funniest goddamn thing in the world. I wish more male wrestlers in general would be willing to make high-pitched noises. Yeah. I think it's very gross. effective. And similarly, I wish more female wrestlers would make more low, grunting noises. Yeah. More diversity in sounds, please. So you and Adam could be, like, kind of the new grunt world <laughs> order, like, you know. I like this idea a lot. I'm sorry, but this grunt... Grunt does not fit our diversity test. <laughs> okay, we've heard this grunt before from The Undertaker about a hundred times. We it's, need better representation from the other grunts. Yeah, The, the Undertaker does all the grunts. It's not yeah. fair, is it? Like, <laughs> share them around, big man. The corner drop kick with the chair results in blood spewing all over the lens of the camera. Yes, it's horrible. So he, he's like in the tree of woe in the corner and his blood starts pooling around his head and Steve ah. Crino's hair is like bleached white so it's all in there and the hair and it's just dripping everywhere and it's all over Tajiri's hands. And the Tajiri, I wrote down here, Tajiri is a blood wizard because he takes the blood and he wipes it on his chest to give him power. Yeah, it's horrible. Ah! So Tajiri here is... Uh, is, is going to town on Steve Carino. And I love the commentator, Joey Styles. He, DCW at the time was always trying very hard to be like, we're not like those other companies. And we're someone, not like most companies. <laughs> we do, racist promos. But <laughs> I think they all did that at the That's time. actually very true. The commentators in WWF, particularly Jim Ross at the time, if you bled, he would say, you don the crimson mask. Oh, yeah. You know, as in like the way to say that the face is covered in blood. And Joey Styles is like, well, Steve Carino is bleeding. He's gushing. I'm not going to be like those other guys and come up with some corny, fake poetic expressions like he's done the Crimson Mask one minute later. The bleach blonde locks of Steve Carino have turned blood reds. <laughs> That's very poetic now, isn't it? It is, but it's not quite as poetic as uh, donning the Crimson Crown. Yeah, it's true. Crimson Crown? Wait, is that not what they said? Did I just come up with that? You did. Oh, I just came up with something better. Crimson Mask? The crimson crown, like I yeah. like that a lot. The crown works if it goes in your hair. Yes. Yeah. And that always happens when you're in the court of the crimson king. I've heard. That's where you will don it. <laughs> you can tell that what Kevin was making this week for breakfast, as I wrote down here, Steve Carino is. I know what you're going to say. What am I going to say? Steve Carino is bleeding plum compote. Well, I actually wrote down Steve plum compote Carino. I fucking <laughs> knew it. <laughs> it was really good. Uh, you, I thought. <laughs> I thought the puns were too old. Turns out nothing's too old for a compost. We should get Steve Carino and just kind of like, just ooze him over our porridge in the yeah. mornings. Mix him up, it's Okay, right. so we've got a little Tajiri that sprays mist, a little Steve Carino that sprays plum compote. <laughs> our range. Our range, which we will take onto the shark tank. <laughs> Tajiri has got some real innovative offense here yeah. with uh, the table particularly. I love when he sets Carino on the table and then kicks the table into his face. Yeah, there's like, there's two table moves in this, which I thought 
especially was so innovative. I've never seen them done before. And yeah, that one where he's he kind of kicks the table. It's not like laid out or anywhere. It's not propped up. It's just mm. set up normally, like a table in the ring. And he just kicks the edge of it. Oh. And it hits the edge of the table against Steve Carino's like hip or his leg or something. Ah. And that is such... It's like William Regal says. It's relatable pain. Yeah, if you banged your fucking arm or your leg into a table or anything yeah. like that, it's right the worst. on the edge there. It's horrible. <sighs> Ugh, I love that. There's another bit as well where he kind of uses the table to springboard yes! himself. Yes, he had this, the table wedged into the ropes, and then, and I think he could only get away with this because it's Tajiri, and he's this little cat man. Because like most wrestlers would fuck this up, or mm. just it would look wrong, or yeah. it would just be terrifying. And he uses the weight of his body on the table as a seesaw almost to like, like jump over. Oh, it's so cool! It's amazing. It's ah, oh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's, it's pure acrobatics. I yeah, absolutely love that he can I do it. I love it. I like you get everything in this match. You get the pure acrobatics, and then you get the pure juvenile delinquency of Steve Carino going for a fisherman suplex and going, "You're gonna suck my dick." <laughs> He's bleeding too much. No. He won't be able to maintain an erection. <laughs> Seriously, all the blood will be in his penis, and then he'll faint. <laughs> I mean, this would have been a real moment now where Tajiri, if he had like some sort of secret babe or something to distract Sarif Karino, and he would have gotten aroused and then passed out. <laughs> Tajiri in an absolute brilliant moment here. So he puts Steve Carino in this really convoluted submission move called the octopus stretch. I love it because he, he uses his leg over his fucking neck and he's holding his arm and his, his other leg back. He's completely enraptured him like an octopus. And then Carino's big henchman, Jack Victory, comes into the ring to, you know, lay him out. And as he's just there, all tied up, no appendages free, he just goes, and sprays him with mist. It's so cool. It's so, so unexpected. Fun. I love it. Because I, I knew he used the mist, kind of, all the pictures I've seen of Tajiri using the mist is just like him standing there going, and I'm yeah. sure it's really unexpected. But like the fact that he did it, while he had another wrestler in a submission hold, a standing submission hold. And he had to like aim it up to get yeah. it. He got right in the face. Yeah. The aim of Tajiri with this mist is fucking unbelievable. Do you reckon he practices a lot at home? He has to. I mean, sure, we saw, you know, with Mankind, him trying to do the thing before with the, the, the lighter paper, the flash yes. paper, and Hogan as well. How hard it is to aim stuff and it can look so bad. Imagine someone's like, oh, miss, and it's going bleh, or it <laughs> completely goes the wrong way, you know? He gets some fucking dead center yeah unbelievable cloud envelops him accurate mists <laughs> Tajiri does one of my favourite things which is he just completely does a big rush where he's like a million strikes non-stop constant punches and kicks and knees and elbows he double stomps Carino through the table Tajiri picks up the win in a very bloody match that maybe shows us a slightly different Tajiri to what you see in later years but what did you think? I loved it Loved it, loved it, loved it. The match itself, I gave three and a half stars. I didn't think you'd like this. Yeah, I didn't think I'd like it either, but I did. I really liked the actual wrestling I loved. Now, I didn't like the vast quantities of blood. I just think it's unnecessary, but it's yeah. ECW, so I guess it's... I've got to expect it now. I mean, if you look at Steve Carino's forehead nowadays, you'll probably agree with you that perhaps it was a, a little, bit much. A little bit much, mm. yeah. <laughs> I just think without all the blood, I could have maybe watched more of it because mm. I wanted to see my lovely Tajiri, but I had to keep looking away because of all the blood. Was it? Did it make you squeamish? Yes. Mm. I don't like seeing, especially pools of blood. Pooling of blood is very icky. Mm. I don't like it. And the ring was 
so gross by the end. Oh, God. Everyone was covered. The ring was disgusting. Just bl- missed blood in the air. It's Don't worry, they horrible. swept up any dried patches. Ah. Into there was another match with Tajiri that enters into another realm of kind of quite uncomfortable bloodiness, which is uh, he has a Mexican death match with Super Crazy. And it's when Tajiri is like a pure, sadistic, nasty heel. And like... You know, he like he's literally like pulling up his face. He's covered in blood, going ah! Like he's really. And I didn't show that to you. I showed you this one instead, thinking that you know at least this one has more of a uh, maybe a bit of a story in it, and it won't completely turn you off. It says a lot about Tajiri that this blood loss still managed to make an enjoyable experience for you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I gave it three and a half stars mm. out of five. Of course, Tajiri in ECW, he said in many interviews that. He felt that he was able to do his best work there because they had so much to prove and Paul Heyman gave him such a platform that they would just go out and absolutely push the limits and try and do as many creative, innovative things as possible. Whereas in WWE, it was like, all right, you've got more like a five-minute match or whatever. So like they had a lot more to prove in ECW. And I think a lot of people don't realize Tajiri was very loyal to that company. He was offered to go to WWE in 1998. He turned them down. He was offered to go to WCW a few times and he turned them down every time as well. He went to ECW because he felt a sense of loyalty that Paul Heyman gave him a start in America and Mm. gave him international exposure like that. I imagine it must be quite nice as well for Tajiri because he's surrounded by a lot of Mexican wrestlers. Yes. And a lot of very innovative wrestling styles, which is clearly something that is very important to him. It's very weird, though, to think of that ECW locker room knowing what went on in ECW and nice Tajiri being there. I know. Like, just was he okay with the fact that he probably just didn't get paid? Well, he said he didn't get paid for like the last three or four months he didn't get a paycheck. Oh, that's not too bad. Which compared to most, yeah. you know, like Tommy Dreamer didn't take a paycheck for like fucking a year and a yeah, half or something. Yeah, it seems to be how, if, you, if you're closer to, to Paul Heyman, yeah. you get paid less. The better mate you are, the worse the, you get. The worse like, you get treated, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Tajiri, he did get paid well enough, I guess. He did get paid, I guess, which is the most important thing. But he was asked about being in the ECW locker room. You think of it with the Sandman episode, like, yeah. you know, that's the same time as this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see Sandman and Tajiri hang yeah, out. That would be so fucking Go golfing. Weird. But Tajiri said, he was asked about the locker room, he said, well, it was pretty crazy. There was usually a lot of, you know, kind of women were brought backstage. There was a lot of stuff going on. Uh, It smelled very strongly of marijuana and alcohol backstage a lot of the time. Now, forgive me for making an assumption here. And Tajiri has not said this. This is just my reading of it. But the whole idea that you've, you've heard this, that Tajiri was led people to believe that he couldn't speak English. Yes. I know William Regal has talked about this before. Yeah. So everyone in ECW... Pretty much the entire roster he dealt with was under the impression that Tajiri didn't speak a word of English. At all. That's pretty impressive. Now, to work with your colleagues and to have matches and all this stuff and just to exist with all these people, them not to know that you spoke English at all. This didn't just happen in ECW, by the way. This happened in WWE as well. Yeah, I don't really understand how he managed this because I know that Tajiri can speak 
perfect English. He does. The best story about this is Steve Carino at a shoot interview. He's talking about working with Tajiri. He's working with Tajiri. They've laid out the match. They've done all this stuff. He's speaking very broken, like kind of, you know, oh, suplex or, you know, he knows the, the spots and stuff like yeah. that. It's all okay. They start brawling the crowd. They're having this big bloody brawl that they have here. They're brawling through the crowd. Then they get up. They're kind of up in the balcony out of sight. And Tajiri pulls him down here and says, and I quote, it would be wise of us to sit here and rest whilst no one can see us. <laughs> Whilst! I don't even know when to use whilst. I know! What the <laughs> fuck, like? Pulling it out mid ECW match. I love this. And, like, the best thing as well is that apparently when he left WWE, and, like, majority of the roster again thought he didn't speak a word of English, and if he did, it was just spots, words, or Waffle House, which is where, yes. where he loved to go. He said in ECW, he ate Waffle House for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every day on the road. There's a great story that William Regal tells in his live Q&As about him going with Tajiri to Waffle House. And it's fantastic. So William Regal, and I'm sure there'll be a couple of William Regal tell stories about Tajiri in this episode, because yeah. I'm obsessed with them. Honestly, I would I could just listen to William Regal tell stories about Tajiri all day, forever, <laughs> the rest of my life. So William Regal and Tajiri used to have to go on these really long road trips together. They traveled together quite a lot when they did like tag teams and stuff in WWF. And Tajiri always wanted to drive himself. He refused to let anyone drive. He refused to speak at all on these really long car journeys. Uh. He wouldn't let would anyone listen to music. So it had to be silence, no conversation. So he could focus. He could focus. And he was a terrible driver and he would only ever go to Waffle House to eat for any meal. Imagine that on Ride Along. I just know. Like, a whole episode of silence and then it's like they're eating Waffle, Waffle House. House like, like, and that's it. That's all that happens. Yeah. Not, not since Charlotte and Ric Flair have there been that much not talking on a road journey. <laughs> like. I just love the fact that he's so obsessed with Waffle House. Yeah, and uh, in an interview he said the reason he loves Waffle House so much is one, he loves grits. Uh, the, the weird kind of southern porridge that you can get in Waffle House. Right. He loves grits. And also as well, one of his first times he went to Waffle House, he saw the British Bulldog and the Road Warriors there. And that made him think that, well, it's obviously a, a legitimate establishment. Aww. If the top guys are going here, you know, to get their fucking grits. <laughs> like. But on his last day in WWE, and I know we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves here, but just on the topic of Tajiri's language uh, illusion, let's just call it. <laughs> On his last day, he literally stood up and it was like, oh, uh, big team meeting, all the wrestlers were all there. And it's like, oh, by the way, guys, Tajiri has an announcement. And he stands up and he's like, hey, guys, so you know that uh, I'm retiring. I'm going back to Japan. My contract's finishing up. And I want to thank everyone for a lovely time. And uh, yeah, thanks. And everyone's like, he can speak ink. What? <laughs> Perfectly. He'd be so pissed off. <laughs> now, to, get right, to cycle back to my original point... If you are Tajiri in a very, very fucking new... I mean, going from Japan to America, I can only imagine what that fucking... What that's like. And again, going from Japan to Puerto Rico. He said Puerto Rico was way worse than ECW was in terms of the locker room and the Wild West mentality. Do you think it's almost like a coping mechanism? It's like, all right, if people think I don't speak the language or I don't speak English or whatever, I'm going to keep to myself and just kind of get on by, so to speak. Because he has mentioned that he found that it was quite lonely when he went to America originally. And he said that when his wife moved as well, she found it very, very difficult, the kind of culture clash. Yeah. I mean, that would be a coping mechanism. He's not said it was, but I don't know. It's interesting. Part of me wonders if it is a bit like that. Like, okay, for example, bit of a secret here. 
but around men, I will sometimes pretend I'm more stupid than I am. <gasps> Why is that? Because men will assume you're more stupid than you are anyway. And I like to feel superior to these men who are going to make assumptions about me. So sometimes I'll ask stupid questions that I know the answer to. Oh. Just so I feel a sense of superiority. And I know that's maybe a bit shitty of me to do, but I don't care. I only do it to nasty men anyway. You don't so. do it to me on this podcast. Those are <laughs> genuine questions. I know so much more about wrestling than you do. This whole podcast is a sort of long con to prove your superiority <laughs> like. No, but like people will make assumptions and when you have to deal with assumptions over and over and over again, it's really hard not to internalise them and believe they're true. So sometimes I think it can be quite empowering to have an element of control over how, over kind of the impression that people will get of you. Right, I see. So I don't know if that's why he did it at all. But it I, seems very, when you say it like that, it seems like like if I was in his position, yeah. I would do that. Because like, they're all, they're like a lot of meatheads and it's a bit of a dodgy company and it's kind of like if you you know he, he was married at this point he was he? and he's also you know Tajiri ain't ain't no uh party hard yeah Tajiri ain't gonna be covered and going Sandman's dead like, you know, <laughs> that ain't happening Tajiri is, is a straight laced guy yeah and I think to me it seems more like he'd do it to avoid the drama because there's a lot of drama that goes on no, at this stop. time yeah and it's just like it would be so much easier to not be involved and also not have to go out to all these events where everyone's taking drugs and drinking and partying and late nights if you want to be just back home with your wife much easier to just be like bye don't speak english yeah i just let's I'm, not hang out <laughs> as soon as you said that my mind just went to some random ecw stories including like a dildo on a skateboard being pushed down uh you know this is for for pleasuring the ladies and what they wanted uh the weirdest one i heard raven telling a story i i could be wrong i'm sorry i don't know the exact details but uh, a lady uh, requested that a perry saturn action figure be used as a phallus on her requested uh, yeah well that's what how i heard it but Maybe it's safe to say that ECW just wants to like, whoa, this party's getting a little bit out of control, mm. guys, you know? How many sodas did you drink? <laughs> it was kind of, yeah, you know, like in Twin Peaks where they go into that really fucking scary bar and it's just like fucking loud music yeah. and drugs being taken. It's kind of like, I imagine it being like, if you work at a startup, say, where the culture is very much you're expected to go drink after work, yeah. it might be easier just to lie and say, I don't drink yeah. actually. Um, I'm I'm straight edge, and also I'm I'm really boring. I I enjoy bird watching, so you wouldn't want to hang out with me anyway. So bye. See ya. Sorry, I don't like drinks on Friday, and also been asked to do loads of extra work for free. Bye. <laughs> so it happens inevitably, as we talked about in our ECW episode. And if this talk of a madcap madhouse of a weird wrestling company that seems to be like kind of. I don't know, like a weird house party that got out of hand. Check out our ECW Sandman and Paul Heyman episodes for, for more details on that brand. And of course, as we mentioned in those episodes, ECW unfortunately found itself in super duper bankruptcy in the year 2001. And many, many people were signed. And one of the first people was Tajiri. Tajiri, of course, had wrestled briefly for WWE in 1997. They wanted him a few times and now... They finally got to have this Japanese buzzsaw, this fucking international superstar who's been tearing up in Mexico and Puerto Rico and Japan and ECW. And they make him be Commissioner William Regal's tea-serving boy. So strange. So strange. Now, do you think the reason they did this is because it's some stupid old white guy who was like, ah, 
he's Japanese, let's just make him a butler stereotype because no one's going to know who he is. Or do you think it's more clever than that? And they were like, ha, all these ECW fans are going to be so confused by the fact that Tajiri, the Japanese buzzsaw, Mm. is now serving William Regal? What do you think was their intention there? It's so difficult because, like, I remember knowing who Tajiri was and then seeing him like this and being quite confused because I hadn't seen much of his stuff in ECW by the time he debuted in WWE. So I was a bit, yeah, I was a bit confused by that. Because they must have known that most people who watched ECW would then watch WWE because they'd basically absorbed it all. Yeah, so unfortunately, uh, the reality was that ECW fans weren't like, actually as fuck WWE and fuck WCW as they made out. The reason they allegedly hated those companies so much is because they watched them every fucking goddamn Monday night anyway, because the (laughs) ECW fans were the super fans of the time. Yeah. If you watched ECW, you you watched the other fucking shows. That is what actually happened, And then you just complain about them. (laughs) But... It does end up coming in a roundabout way working really well because they kind of take the fact that you don't know as a viewing audience maybe that this guy is a killer like William Regal doesn't know. And then if you are someone who does know when Tajiri finally does get to wrestle it's like ah holy fuck. But it doesn't really come across like they had this master plan all along because Tajiri wasn't in on any of this. Mm. He shows up and it's like right Tajiri uh, this week you're going to be serving William Regal tea. And then the following week, it's like, okay, you're also doing this. And Tajiri's, like, showing up with his gear to wrestle every week on the road. And he's not wrestling at all. And, like, he does say, like, he did a shoe interview where he's like, yeah, I just assumed they didn't want me to wrestle. And I was like, I'm okay because I'm getting paid anyway. But I was a little disappointed that I wasn't getting to wrestle. And I thought, this was my job now. Was that, you know, he, he wasn't told, like, don't worry, Tajiri, you're going to have a match. They didn't. They never said that to him. He never spoke to Vince McMahon. He never was oh given my the God. actual arc here of what happened. Now, do you think, again, I don't know if I'm giving too much credit to Vince and mm. WWE, but do you think part of that might be because he made out like he couldn't speak English? So he wouldn't have ah. had as much of a involvement in his character arc as maybe other wrestlers might have been given. That's true. I, I, I think there is a lot to be said, though, for the fact that in WWE, if you were a, an international superstar at the time, I think they they maybe viewed you more of as a utility than necessarily as like a, an individual star with aspirations yeah. and a career trajectory. Because, I mean, if we look at other Japanese wrestlers who had come in uh, into the company at that time, it's not really... There's not really a great fucking track record. Takamichinoku, one of the greatest Japanese wrestlers of all time, he was relegated to, you know, racist stereotypes, him having to come out and having a voice dubbed over him like he was in a Godzilla movie, you know? Oh, Jesus. Which, not gonna lie, as a kid, I thought that was the funniest thing ever. I couldn't, mm. you know, I, I wasn't, you know, in a mindset to think why that would be offensive. Yeah, of course. I, I was happy that Godzilla movies were being represented. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but looking back now, it's quite demeaning to do that to wrestler. Finaki, similar, exact same thing happened. Uh, Hayabushi, great wrestler. Bret Hart wanted to have a lengthy run in a feud with him. They didn't want to do anything like that. They had him do comedy stuff with Barry Horowitz instead. You know, they just didn't know how to pitch the Japanese wrestlers. And I think they're, honestly, still, there's probably some people who think this, There was a view, I think, that a Japanese superstar couldn't get over because America and Japan had a 
difference of culture that maybe meant that in the same way that Vince Russo I think thought that you can't cheer for a Mexican wrestler because he's Mexican he's got a mask why would you care about him so fucking old fashioned there is there's a viewpoint that the crowd wouldn't connect with this character maybe and let's use him maybe as a utility instead great comedy don't get me wrong but that's just luck yeah that William Regal and Tajiri are great at doing this like Tajiri obviously has a great sense of comedy like he's his timing is fantastic. He's his facial expressions are among my favourite when he does the stuff with William Regal. Even in matches, he comes out with these really amusing facial expressions and stuff. I mean, there's a great match we're going to watch later where he uh, he does a lot of physical comedy. I think in yeah. his match, but it's just so it's so demeaning to assume that's what he should be doing. Mm. Did you find when you were watching this at the time, were you worried that that was his job now? No, because I had my brother, who was more of the ECW fan, tell me, don't worry, because as soon as he wrestles, it's going to be fine. Like, but, So you were confident that he would get the chance to wrestle? You yes. you weren't like Tajiri and thinking, oh, this is it for him now? No, I, I'm pretty sure, because they were kind of, they were alluding, like, any, like, because what would happen was that William would constantly be like, and we'll get you that match next week, promise now. Like, you know, he was like the, the disappointing the, dad. Exactly, yeah. He'd be like, <laughs> don't worry, next week now. And he, Tajiri would just speak in Japanese at length. And he, I I'd actually would love someone who spoke Japanese if you could go back and <gasps> to watch translate those, it. To translate. I I'm would sure love he's that. Saying all fucking sorts. I bet it's so funny what he's saying. I mean, we watched a couple of these segments, and some, I mean, we watched a lot of this for William Regal as well. And I mean, I think this is honestly one of the reasons that this kind of spurned us doing this episode yeah. quite soon. Is doing Regal, it was like, okay, yeah, we got to do Tajiri <laughs> quite soon. The segment where The Undertaker and Kane are going to be booked in a six man tag match, and Tajiri is their partner, and Tajiri starts fanboying out about <laughs> Kane and the choke slam and tombstone pile driver and he just starts jumping up and down the desk about how much he loves Kane and The Undertaker and Kane and The Undertaker are like your boy is pretty jazzed up there William Regal you sure he cool to tag with us like, so fucking yeah, your funny. boy could fuck or wrestle the pants off you like <laughs> literally any day of the year uh, f- actually a uh, bonus viewing recommended Tajiri versus The Undertaker fabulous match it's funny the day before we we recorded this episode we uploaded a video which is like five times superstars disrespected the Undertaker as Undertaker looking upset with green paint on his face (laughs) like "Hmm, I wonder who that was (laughs) disrespected the Undertaker the great fucking moment as well where instead of giving Tajiri a match like he wanted he let Tajiri go out and do commentary. Oh, yes. And you got Jim Ross is like, hi, Tajiri, welcome to, welcome to the broadcast position. And Tajiri just speaks like proper, like a New Japan commentary, like really like going in there, like, real fucking serious, uh, in total Japanese. Mm. But now then he would go, business is about to pick up. Or <laughs> if you speak Japanese, the word slobberknocker would just appear amongst the, the verbiage. Fucking brilliant, you know? That's a very fast show. It is, yeah. It's so funny. I mean, we mentioned before his his debut with Crash Holly, where Regal is like, finally, you have your little match, and he is so vicious in his kicks, and he does all this stuff that no one has ever seen before. And Regal is like, oh my God, <laughs> the man who's been serving me tea. Like, it's so funny, though. I think this lasted, like, it was a good two or three months. Bloody hell. Before he, It was June before he wrestled. But that's the thing, though, is that Tajiri he connected in a, with the crowd in a way I don't think they realised that he would. Because, you know, he was three months serving tea. Tajiri's first trading card, I found that I showed it to Joe, is Tajiri with a tray and a tea set and a big smile wearing tan slacks and a polo shirt. 
that was Tajiri's first trading card for WWE. But like he went from that and then he had a few matches and all of a sudden, by July, main event of Raw, Madison Square Garden versus wow. Chris Jericho. The night after SmackDown, again, main event, him and William Regal in a tag match against Chris Jericho. He, again, he connected with the crowd in a way they didn't realize. And he ended up becoming one of the most fucking endearing characters. He's only there for four years. But everyone has got fucking beautiful memories of him around this time. So, Tajiri was a, a good guy face for most of the time. He was aligned with William Regal a lot of this time. Uh, William Regal ended up becoming a bad guy and they had a, a feud, which was, unfortunately, didn't get as much... You know, they were very much in the mid-cards. They were an opening act, almost. You right. Know? They weren't ever really viewed as being main event, even though... We reviewed that whole angle for a recent season, the At Chair podcast. It's some of the best work of the time because Regal and Tajiri are just fucking. They have great chemistry. Like, they have great chemistry as teammates, but also as opponents. They also paired him up with Tori Wilson at the time. And I think the idea was, was that Vince McMahon thought there was nothing funnier than Playboy playmate Tori Wilson being in a relationship with Tajiri. Why? Because it's like, it's a little guy from Japan and what? this statuesque blonde, like, wow. It's fucking Tajiri. I know, and they, they'd have things like Stacey Heber going, why are you going out with Tajiri? He is from Japan, like. What? You know, he's short and weird. Why are you doing I'm that? I'm racist. <laughs> what? A very endearing uh, quality there. But they ended up, uh, they, they were together for ages and like, you know, just... They, they said in kayfabe that Tori was like I love Tajiri he is great and he is he is my my girl, boyfriend and I am his girlfriend like oh, that was it that. they just loved each other but of course as things happen once uh, 2002 came around they turned this angle into a bit of a heel gimmick mm. and Tajiri turned heel became evil and started insisting that Tori Wilson dress in offensively stereotypical traditional Japanese women's attire She'd have to wear like long kimonos and stuff and tie her hair up. And if she was in any way provocative, he'd be like, no, stop that. Oh my God. And of course, all the people just wanted to see hot babes. So they were like, boo to Jiri. I don't know how that angle is aged necessarily. I'm very intrigued to see what this traditional Japanese garb is because part of me thinks WWE thinking Japanese garb traditional garb is probably like a geisha outfit she, at least they didn't have her wear geisha makeup and stuff that would have been a bit fucking weird like, <laughs> like do your research <laughs> so yeah i mean a lot to be said for tajiri's like his facial expression they did a great angle where she like you know turned her you know she she broke away from him and she stripped out of her kimono and tajiri was like eyes popping out of his head going wah and yeah, he was a prude because again, I think that's playing off some Japanese stereotypes of the time. He ended up turning face again uh, out of utility and necessity. And the best way to form a tie team is when someone gets injured and you need a new tie team partner. Tajiri had various partners over the years. One of his best tie teams though was uh, with Eddie Guerrero. His nephew Chavo had been injured, had a shoulder injury. So Tajiri was a last minute replacement and they ended up becoming a great little oddball tag team and were tag team champions for a bit. Really, really fun team. Have you seen much of Eddie Guerrero? Bits here and there. I know you guys sometimes watch bits of Eddie Guerrero for the Attitude Era podcast. He sometimes oh, comes yeah. up. Because when China's there, we always bring you in when China's on screen. Like, yeah, of so, course. Yeah. Like, oh, China's here. Joe, get in here. <laughs> I don't know if I've seen... I'm pretty sure I've seen like a couple of matches where he's in it. Him and Dean Malenko in ECW yeah. we watched. That was one of the matches I really enjoyed. Yeah. Mm, but I haven't seen much of him. 
generally considered to be one of the greatest wrestlers of, of his time and someone will definitely be doing an episode on in, in the future but we decided to look uh, this is after Eddie Guerrero and Tajiri split from their tag team a split which occurred when Eddie Guerrero backdropped Tajiri onto the hood of his lowrider car and through the windshield because Tajiri touched it by mistake Jesus fucking great way to turn heel so it's from Smackdown on the 31st of July 2003 Tajiri taking on Eddie Guerrero, who has got lowrider problems at the start of this match. Got a sweet car. Do you like the car? I like the car. I wish there were more cars in wrestling today. There was a period of time when there was like several cars at once. Yeah, I don't think you need more than one. Yeah? One car per show. Who would you give cars in wrestling in 2019, in February, when we are now? Oh, that's really difficult. I'd have Ricochet come out in some sort of hover device. Mm, no no because I like him doing those ridiculous flips he does in his entrance how about I like uh, the Undisputed Era because one time they showed them driving off in like an open top jeep like bullies drive in Venice Beach <laughs> I like them coming out in an open top jeep like you know I feel there are some cool vehicles Velveteen Dream could, could get away with driving like a town car type thing or like if Kyrie Sane always came out on like a pirate ship type thing I'm trying That's to think, too high concept. I'm trying to think of people on the main shows, though. Yeah. Who could have vehicles. Like, I think the New Day would suit maybe like a really fun vehicle of some kind. Like an open top, like Hummer type thing or a maybe, stretch limousine that has a yeah, hot tub in it or but something. like different designs spray painted on like each time. Like with pancakes Ooh. and stuff. Like the way they customise all their gear. You have a customised car. I imagine having a car is the most pain in the ass goddamn thing for them to do in wrestling. Do like. they have to have special inside car training? They have to, as far as I know, the ramp has to be removed out so that it can come through. And I know JBL used to come out in a limousine with bullhorns at the end of it. With Bloody his gimmick. It was a great a white stretch limo with the bullhorns. Proper Texas fucking oil tycoon. I remember WrestleMania 21, because it was a small arena, they actually had to lift up the entire stage for him's car to come out because there was no room otherwise. Wow. So a bit of a pain in the ass. Yeah. But yeah, we've got Eddie Guerrero out with Lowrider, which won't engage its hydraulics at the start of this match. And he goes over, checks all the different parts. Who's only in the bloody trunk, Joe? It's Tajiri. Look in the trunk. It's Tajiri. And he has got green mist sprayed immediately. I don't know why... Eddie Guerrero looks in the trunk. That's not where you fix a car. You look under the bonnet and oh. that's where the engine and everything is. But he doesn't look in there. He looks in the trunk. I just don't understand the, the logic behind that. Would he not just... I mean, he's at the ring at this point. The car has made it that far. Just go into the ring. Well, he, he's not completed his entrance unless it goes... And does its cool hydraulics bit. Oh, I wasn't aware it did that. Oh, yes. That's why he's looking for the hydraulics. And I only know this because I watched Batista's documentary, I Walk Alone. And he likes lowriders and collects them and hangs out with some of his friends who also have lowriders in the area. And I'm pretty sure the hydraulics bit either goes by the gear stick in the front or sometimes in the back. Oh, I see. So that could be it. I just thought he had engine troubles. I mean, if Tajiri was in the engine, that would have been really funny. And again, quite cat-like because often a cat will hide in an engine. It's nice and warm, yeah. It's nice and warm. Well, you really got to be careful is um, every time you get into a car, just make sure that you check on top of the wheels, the tyres. Ah, yes. Because Tajiri's climb in there sometimes. (laughs) And they will miss you if provoked. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Just, Just be careful. I like the whole gimmick here of 
Eddie Guerrero having to have a special eyewash station and all that because, you know, the uh, the green mist has been sprayed into his eyes. He's a special saline solution. Now, what you may not know about Eddie Guerrero, Joe, is that he lies, cheats, and steals. So he's a very uh, crooked type of character, which is why he says things like, I can't see, S.A. I can't see the three fingers that you're holding up. <laughs> and you know what? Once this action starts and the two of them get in the ring, it's fucking beautiful and it's gonna be a dream match for Tajiri as well Eddie Guerrero one of the greatest Mexican wrestlers of all time him in there with fucking Tajiri who is you know aspiration was to be you know a wrestler in Mexico it's fucking incredible the stuff they do here the monkey yeah. flips oh. you said you were worried about Eddie how he took certain moves though yeah so when he gets like flipped over or he's flipping someone else over mm-hmm. I'm sure there's proper terminology for all of this he tucks his head really late. Like, ah. so when you're doing like something like a flip that involves you going like forwards underneath, like a roll. Yeah, it's like most, a full rotation, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Most wrestlers will tuck their head at the beginning of the momentum. So you land on your flat back. Mm. Eddie doesn't do that. He starts the jump first, and then at the very last second, just before he's about to hit the floor, he tucks his head under. <sighs> And it looks so scary. I'm so frightened every time that he's going to land on his head. It's, it's, he's got those massive shoulders that he just rolls onto all the time. Like. Yeah. Now, interesting about Eddie Guerrero, and if we do an episode on him, it's something I really want to get into more. Tajiri was asked in an AMA on Reddit, like, hey, buddy, remember he's working with Eddie? And he's like, oh, man, Eddie was like one of my favorite opponents. However, he would get incredibly nervous before the match. Wow. And he would like hug Tajiri really, really tight. And he'd like spend ages praying. And he's like, he don't, he said Tajiri was like, he'd almost make me nervous because yeah. he, I thought he was the best and he was the greatest. And he would be so nervous before the match like started. He'd be really like apprehensive and anxious. And after the match as well, he would then like, be tearing it down saying, oh no, I made all these mistakes and it's really bad. And Eddie, I think, is someone who struggled a lot with anxiety mm. surrounding his performance which you wouldn't know watching this match because it's fucking like these two beautiful stuff they pull off so good yeah I want to talk a little bit about one of my favourite moves Tajiri does the handspring elbow now China of course does the handspring elbow where she does the big cartwheel and the backflip Tajiri does it where he goes kind of a handstand and he bounces off the ropes then bounces back and hits him with an elbow I fucking love that it's very cool I think you like this a lot he was asked recently would you like to come and do a return to WWE? And he said, I want to return to WWE, but as a very old man. Yes! And then I will come to the ring very slowly and slide in and then do a handspring elbow. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, old Tajiri's going to be so good. And then just going up a slow bounce yes. into the fucking yes. handspring yes. elbow. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you know what's the saddest thing about all these wrestlers that are old men currently is mm-hmm. none of them have the body shape to be wrestling into their old age. Because they're all trying to be young men. Like Triple yeah. H and Undertaker, Kane and HBK. They've got all this muscle on. Yeah, they're trying to look like they did in 1997. Yeah, they haven't got the energy and the endurance and the stamina to keep up a massive muscular body shape like that doing wrestling, which is so much flexibility required. And when you're muscular, like that's hard to keep flexible and as well. that's why they all got injured in that yeah. match as well. So I would love to see proper, great old... Like, I genuinely believe there is a space for older wrestlers mm. if it's done well. Yeah. 
And Tajiri, I have total faith. Like Tajiri and Daniel Bryan when they're old men. I want to see long wispy white old beards. wizard men. Yes. I know. As soon as I saw that, I was like, I have got to sit on this. I can't sit because it's like I know it's like literally catnip for you hearing yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> this old man, wizard looking, fucking slow moving. It's like, fucking brilliant. That's almost my first impression of Tajiri, except obviously he's not old now. But he's got old wizard energy. Yeah, he totally has. Yeah, wizard energy. <laughs> There's another cool move that he does, which uh, you made a big wee for. Hurricane DDT. It is a tornado DDT. What is the difference between a hurricane and a tornado DDT? As far as I... Oh, I was going to say, uh, between a hurricane and tornado, I actually believe it's... Uh, depending if it's on land or sea where it starts, oh. it's classified as one or the other, I think. That's interesting, uh, Hurricane DDT is a move that you've just invented. Oh. And uh, that is that is not a name. It's done in the sea. It is... <laughs> Starts you, in the sea. Yeah, if you're on Chris Jericho's cruise, is a hurricane DDT maybe? <laughs> I'm not sure because I think a hurricane could be land and a tornado could be. I'm not sure which one is which. Mm. But hurricane DDT, that's that's out there for you. You can have that now. Someone should do that. And yeah. I think they should do it with their arms out like this. Wee! And every time it's done, Joe should get a nickel. Uh, it's only fair. You come up with a concept. Yeah. <laughs> Tajiri goes for his finishing move, the buzzsaw kick, which is when he just brings his hands down and goes, and these is a big kick to the head. Great finisher. Because I, I like, why doesn't more people just go to kick him in the fucking head? You know? That's a great way to end a match. It is, yeah. <laughs> so he does the big, huge spin kick, which is then missed. We then get monkey business from Eddie Guerrero as the referee accidentally gets misted in the face. Yeah. Tajiri's going to go mist Eddie and then Eddie like ducks out of the way and the poor referee is blind now. Good guy Eddie Guerrero hits Tajiri in the face with the US belt and then cleans the eyes of the referee with a bottle of water. He steals Taz's water. He's like, whoa, that's my drinking water. <laughs> so he could get an infection. Who knows? Wait, Love- what? <laughs> Well, backwash, you know. I don't clean out my eyes if I've been misted with some backwash water. I mean, it's pretty selfish of him not to share his special saline solution that he used yeah. earlier. I got the, the referees don't get looked after in WWE, do they? No. Like, you know, you get an eye wash station if you're a wrestler. If you're a fucking referee, someone throws a dirty old drinks can in your Nothing. face. Eddie Guerrero hits the beautiful frog splash and picks up the win here. A lovely fucking match that has no less than two poison mist spots. I was a big fan of this one. How did you get on watching Eddie Guerrero again? I loved it. It was really, really good. Again, I I gave this match three stars out of five. I love these matches a lot, but there's something about both of these last two matches which miss a special source for me. Mm. And I don't know what it is. I think what it might be is that Tajiri almost always found himself in the spot of five or ten minute match. He was rarely, if ever, the main event or in a main event feud. And I think Tajiri honestly made it an art form. There's very few people who can do a short match and it actually be a lovely thing to watch. Mm. Very often wrestlers, when they're told, you've got three minutes or it was five minutes, now it's three. And then they're like, oh, fuck this. And then you go out and have a fucking stroppy, boring match. Yeah. Where in three minutes you manage to have a headlock. Yeah. Whereas Tajiri always maximise those minutes and maybe that's why it's because it's always on a little smaller scale almost maybe that's it maybe it's not got a chance to really tell a story which Mm. is I know something that's quite important to me as a wrestling fan I know there was a match we watched which was him and Rob Van Dam for the hardcore belt and that was one that you enjoyed a lot yeah I loved that one that was basically 
dance yeah that match i would have given five stars yeah yeah i loved that i consider that a perfect match we will put that up on recommended bonus yes. as well very very good match. it's really good so yeah i don't know i don't know what it is i love tajiri i love eddie guerrero i really liked watching steve carino as well mm. but yeah there is this like magic source that's just missing i, I loved mm. it i love these matches but i wouldn't watch them again right i see interesting so, Tajiri found himself involved in the Cruiserweight division, feuding with the likes of Billy Kidman and Rey Mysterio and Jamie Noble. He turned heel again, and they had him be a very vicious, nasty heel this time. He sprayed the girlfriend of one of his opponents, a wrestler called Jamie Noble. His gimmick was that he was from the trailer park with his girlfriend, Nydia, and their, their gimmick was that they were white trash. Wait, is Jamie Noble, as in, from J&J Security? Yes. Wow. I have to show you briefly now. Jamie Noble, when he was a trailer park gimmick with his girlfriend, Nydia. Nydia, who won the first season of Tough Enough, by the way. So yeah, this is uh, him and Nydia. The idea were that they were... Uh, oh, he's got hair. He's got hair, yeah. Very uh, trashy uh, individuals. Uh, and yeah, lots of jean shorts. So what happened with this feud was Tajiri sprayed mist in Nydia's face. Ooh. But this was different mist. This was black mist. Da -da -da -da. Oh no. So does each mist have a different like buff? Well, that's it, right? He did green mist as kind of main timeline Tajiri mist. Wasabi mist. Wasabi mist. Spicy mist. He would do a red mist sometimes as well. And that was more of a dark side of mist. But black mist was very rarely used. Black mist had huge effects. Let me show you what happened to Nydia after she got black mist. So Nydia had a gimmick where she, she got sprayed with uh, black mist and then she was blind for several months. Wait, what? I thought the green mist was blinding. No, no, the green mist is a temporary blinding blindness, okay. but the black mist gave a semi-permanent blindness. Jesus. So they had a whole gimmick where Nydia had to go around with like a walker uh, stick and she had uh, sunglasses on. And it was horrible because during the time as well, Jamie Noble would be like hitting on other women. And she's like, Jamie, are you there? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, baby, I'm over here. I'm just kissing another girl. And it's like, Tajiri caused this. this, e And he would laugh that he had blinded this poor woman. Oh my God. It was so sinister. And they even gave him two Yakuza-like henchmen and they were called Kyodai. So Tajiri would come out with these two guys in like black suits and they were making out initially that oh it's like it's the Yakuza and all that and then they stopped it immediately. And the pervasive theory all these years has been Tajiri feared for his life hmm. that the actual Yakuza would come and get him because you don't make fun of the Japanese mafia on American TV or something like that. I mean... They are terrifying. They are. I've just come to the end of Yakuza Zero, and they do <laughs> all sorts there. I wouldn't want any of the dojo clan coming down on Tajiri. It's not fair, like. They'll do them hard like they did Mazuma-san. So I don't think it's actually true, though, because he was asked about this, and he said, no, that wasn't true at all. But there was another Japanese wrestler called Kenzo Suzuki who came around at the same time. He was... Very, very unsuccessful. Like, not a great wrestler. But he, they gave him the gimmick of the last emperor. And that had to get dropped because you don't want to invoke the emperor of Japan in vain in America. Because there is a little bit of um, 
cultural insensitivity there, let's just right. say, because Emperor, World War II, yeah, yeah. we tried to avoid that. So no, Tajiri didn't have a hit put out on him by the Yakuza, we can dispel that myth. He just happened to have two henchmen who wore suits. It is still probably a good idea not to piss off the Yakuza if you're likely to go to Japan anytime soon. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that he didn't. Yeah, play it safe. <laughs> Our next match takes us to ECW's One Night Stand 2005, where the gang got back together and Tajiri was one of the first people announced he was going to take part in this little ECW reunion show as he started his feud up again with his arch nemesis, Super Crazy and Little Guido, in an ECW three-way dance. And this is where Joe got to see, for the first time, one of the all-time great weird characters in wrestling and former manager of Tajiri, the Sinister Minister. Yay! <laughs> How would you describe the Sinister Minister? He's Satan. <laughs> Modern Satan. Pretty much like. Like, if, like Paul Heyman kind of Satan. Mm, Paul Heyman image of Satan. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah, definitely. He's got a ponytail, which is horrible. Perfect. His eyebrows are styled into little horns, <laughs> which I love. He's got long fingernail claws, which are disgusting. I mean, it's amazing. Not since like watching Total Ballads have we paid so much attention to the eyebrows and nails yeah. of the on-screen characters. He wears like a red suit um, and black shirt underneath. It's just—it's it's actually like a priest's costume because he's got the really? instead of the little white bit, he's got a little red thing. Oh, I love that. Very early ECW memory for me. I mentioned before that it would be on late at night and I knew it was like, oh, what's the meant to watch it I read, you know he was a big part of the ECW show in the year 2000 because Hayden was enamoured This he was a legit fucking Satanist like, I you love know? that and he proper old school evil wizard with his fucking pentagram ring and all that and, and was, a goatee yes the most evil facial hair of all and he'd laugh like this <laughs> and he'd talk about all the sinners who were going to die in the fires of hell for enjoying ECW but that's what you like I remember very early <laughs> memory like going downstairs sneaking out turn on ecw and it's like oh shit the sinister minister had like two bikini babes he's like going, ah! I'm like if my parents walk in right now me age fucking 11 or whatever there's a legit satanist who was dressed up like a dark-sided catholic priest and he's got two bikini babes like this is like if i was watching porn it would have been more acceptable like <laughs> it was so fucking dark-sided I love the Sinister Minister. The uh, combination of evil Satanist, Sinister Minister, Tajiri, and making a return appearance from the Jobbers episode, Mikey Whipwreck. Hey! He was given a new gimmick of a pyromaniac at this time. Someone sent in a picture of Mikey Whipwreck during this time, dressed as a wizard? Yes. Why? Tajiri wore all sorts of interesting cosmic costumes. That's cool. I like it a lot. Yeah, the flame shirt, the wizard hat. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good look. Like They look like they are the most elite Pokemon Blue players of the year 2000. <laughs> no one's going to fuck with these two. Tajiri is taking on, obviously, Super Crazy, who's coming on his own some. Little Guido, his large entourage. What did you make of the FBI? I don't like the name. Why not? Because it sounds like FBI. Which is confusing, because like, at one point, someone on commentary said, like, Tajiri taking down the FBI and just that has different connotations than what I feel they were going for. So what, you think that Tajiri is actually going to destroy like with the, the state surveillance or something like that? I just that? don't think a wrestling group should be called like, after something like the FBI. I just think it's pointless. Do you know what it stands for? No. 
full-blooded Italians. I hate it even more. And the gimmick of the full-blooded Italians that you had like one or two legit Italian guys in there, like the Sicilian shooter, Little Guido, and Big Guido. I like the fact there's a little and a Big Guido. That that I like there, the continuity. What has Italy got to do with the FBI? Nothing, it's just they're full-blooded Italians. It's so bad, I hate the name. It's such a Paul Heyman idea. Yeah, I feel like it was like, oh, here we go, we've got this cool idea for like the full-blooded Italians, which is fine as a name. But then Shawning is the FBI. Yeah. I hate that. As Joey Styles himself says, Lil Guido and Big Guido are Italian. Tony Mama Luke, JT Smith, and and Tracy Smothers couldn't find Italy on a goddamn map. <laughs> Particularly like Tracy Smothers, the good old boy from down south, whose call name when he was in the FBI was from Nashville, Italy. <laughs> hey man, you got much more Italian than me. Way in the moon, hit your eye like a big pizza pie. There <laughs> This was my match for many years to show new fans. I don't think that's a good idea. How come? It's a triple threat. Ah. Which is confusing to new fans. Mm. I still find triple threats confusing. Well, this isn't a triple threat, Joe. It's a three-way Oh, dance. for fuck's sake. That's even more confusing. And also, I think it's a good idea to show any new wrestling fans something called a three-way dance yeah. as their first ever match. How about you, though? You love dance. Yeah, I do love dance. But if you're going to show me something called a three-way dance for my first ever wrestling match, I'm just saying, for me, that's setting my expectations too high. Ah. And for most people, it's setting their expectations too low. I see, I see. Well, what is very good about this... Triple threat slash three-way dance slash triangle match is that all three guys are in the ring like quite often at the same time. Yeah. Where very often you have a three-way, it's like two people will wrestle, one person like slips on a banana peel, and then someone else comes in, and then like they've left the kettle on, so they have to mm. go out and turn it off in the next someone room. Goes has a nap at some point. Yeah. What did you think when they went to the crowd? Super crazy. Had a, a big moment up on the balcony. He sure did. He climbed all the way up to the very, very, very top of the building and needed a fucking backwards moonsault into the crowd. Oh my God. It's fucking incredible. We got, a, we got a really cool moment when Big Guido and all of the FBI are interfering on mass and Tajiri's just like chopping down all these people using all of his fucking kicks and his punches and his strikes. Big Guido picks him up for a powerbomb and he just goes and sprays him right in the face. <laughs> oh, that close quarters mist is even worse. <laughs> It's denser. Lil Guido gets eliminated after Mikey hits his whipper snapper to help his pal Tajiri. I love in ECW when they really emphasize that there is absolutely no goddamn rules whatsoever. Yeah. And then we get down to a lovely sequence between Tajiri and Super Crazy, which ends with a triple moonsault sequence from Super Crazy. I'll be honest, this is a match which I loved a lot when I was younger. And I'm not sure if it still has the same potency these days. How did you find this one? I, again, I felt the same way about this match as I did about the other two matches. Mm. It was very good. Great display of wrestling, but didn't have much story. Mm. And the pacing, I don't know, wasn't ideal for me. It's, it's getting quite a short match. I love the setting of this. Like, I love that they're in this ballroom the yeah. crowd is rapid. the fact that there's like 20 guys surrounding the ring I kind of like that a bit as well yeah. because it's just this was meant to be this show it was meant to be like oh ECW is gone but remember the good times it was trying to be like a bit of a greatest hits mm. and ECW was always about entourages and silliness and loads and loads of people like these guys tried to do a dance contest the following year you know it's just that's the type of thing that you would get and I like that they kind of showed this here I'm not sure if this would be my go-to match to show people 
Again, no. I definitely would never go to a match like this as a first match. Too complicated. First match. It's too complicated. Yeah. You need much clearer heels than faces, I think, for a first match. I don't think there's any heels or faces in this. Surprisingly, exactly. I don't think the Satanist minister is actually even a bad guy in this one. No. There's too many bonus characters and yeah. entourages. It's, it's a confusing mess. For, mm. I think if I saw this match as my first ever wrestling match, I'd be put off wrestling. Oh, goodness. Even though I really enjoyed it now as a, as a fan. Okay. So what rating did you give it then? I gave it three and a half stars out of five. Nice. So yeah, it was really enjoyable. So this was one of Tajiri's kind of his last moments in 2005 because he left her towards the end of this year he did actually get to have a main event match with Triple H on an episode of Raw which he said was uh, one of his favourite matches mainly because it just said he was able to prove to himself that he could do a main event American wrestling match and that's like a big thing for Tajiri is the fact that like he's very proud that he managed to transition to America because he knows that American wrestling is very difficult for not just Japanese wrestlers, but for Mexican wrestlers and people from all over the world. You know, before you had the performance center where there was like, hey, we want to synthesize all these different styles. When it was very much like, you're coming over here, you got to do it this way or that's it, like you've done it wrong. Mm. So I think the fact that he was able to have a really great, successful main event match with Triple H, and Triple H did make him look great, like he sold for him and all that. Oh, that's good. Which is really cool. And another really lovely moment when they had Raw in Japan in 2005, one of Tajiri's last moments, he won the tag team championships with William Regal in Japan and that was really great like the fact that you know Tajiri got to cut a promo in Japanese and it was like yay oh that's so nice and yeah Tajiri and Regal winning the belts like on one of his last moments is really really great and it really speaks to how much he impacted everyone because Tajiri's last match it was just on like Sunday Night Heat or whatever and the announcers beforehand they literally like Tajiri's retiring now um this is his last match you know Heat is like you know, it's a like main event now. It's not a big deal. Mm. He got a standing ovation unprompted from Good. the entire audience because he endeared himself in four short years in a way that no Japanese wrestler had ever managed to do before. And I don't think it's fair to compare him to Shinsuke because Shinsuke came in with, like, he's the fucking man. Like, yeah. he's, you know, New Japan, AJ Styles, all these great matches. He had a you know, pedigree already. So it's a total different type of world we're living in now. Which Absolutely. Which is so much more open and mm. the world seems so much smaller now, I think, than it did even 10, 15 years ago. Mm. So absolutely, I can see why comparing those two would be quite difficult. Yeah, very difficult. I do have to mention briefly, though, you know, William Regal <laughs> has uh, inflicted one or two things on Tajiri uh, long term, one of which is uh, exploiting Tajiri's lifelong fear of spam. Spam? This is interesting. Now... William Regal's done... He's told stories before about Tajiri being afraid of things. Yes. And he said that it was all a big lie and that Tajiri was just lying. (laughs) Now, I don't know if this is the case about spam specifically, but apparently on their road trips to avoid going places and doing things and talking about things, Tajiri would just like say, no, I'm scared of this. For fuck's sake, like... Apparently he was scared of cats, the sun... Like, Come on now. Like, really stupid things. Any food that is not from Waffle House. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, the spam thing came apart. Like, he was asked in this AMA. There's an AMA with uh, Tajiri did a few years ago on Reddit. Oh, wow. The, Tajiri's done one shoot interview, one AMA. He had an autobiography released by WWE, but it was really? only released in Japanese. <gasps> That's so... It's the, only, yeah, it's the only non-English language book they've ever released. So, again, a lot of Tajiri is shredded in mystery. And the, the research I've done here is pieced together from a few different things. And 
in that shoot interview that he did with RF Video, he he does a lot of kayfabing in there. Let's just say, you know, right. he and he he pulls the wool over people's eyes a little bit. He he doesn't. He's from that era of wrestling still, I think, where he feels that it's his discretion if he's going to tell you everything. And yeah, that's his business. Well, obviously, he lives that life outside of kayfabe anyway. So. Yeah, but as it pertains to spam, he said in this AMA that William Regal. <laughs> introduced him to spam which Tajiri immediately thought was gross and weird and he didn't like grits though fine yeah grits are fine spam is gross but then Regal told him that Tajiri should love spam because it is for poor people and Tajiri makes no money so (laughs) oh my god (laughs) and then he got him a spam t-shirt which he made him wear to the ring once in a house show like he's come out wearing (laughs) your spam shirt and he would always send him pictures of spam in supermarkets. And the best line is, he continued to do this long after I left WWE and returned to Japan. <laughs> he would just send him pictures of spam in the supermarket and stuff. Oh my god. What a bunch of weirdos. I love it. William Regal and Tajiri's friendship is just like such a magical, wonderful thing. Like they both mm. talk about just hating each other. They love each other. In a way that, yeah, exactly. You could only talk about hating someone so much if you genuinely love them like when Tajiri did come back for the Cruiserweight Classic we mentioned at the start and he was only in for two rounds and he had a brief little run on 205 Live before he was released it was just great to see him back they did a few little bits with him and Regal where Tajiri like did acupuncture on him and stuff like that (laughs) Tajiri by the way now is a a fully qualified acupuncturist and does really well for himself in Japan that's so cool so Tajiri did return to Japan in 2005 and uh, he was initially pursuing a career in journalism was what the reports were. So hang on, just just so I get this clear. Yeah. So he's um, got a degree in economics and Spanish. Yeah. Um, acupuncture. Acupuncture, professional wrestler. Um, I know he's trained a lot of wrestlers as well. Yeah, he does. He's trained several wrestlers. He also, uh, we'll talk a little bit in a moment, uh, writer as well. Wrote, wow. He wrote and booked uh, two wrestling companies, Smash and Hustle. He was a writer and a booker for. Wow. And uh, yeah, that's... And journalism. journalism. <laughs> well, yeah, if at least one of those is Chijiri making something up and doing a bit of kayfabe, then it's still very impressive that he has any of those skills. That's fucking cool. Yeah, like. that's awesome. But yeah, those those videos of him and Regal meeting up again are just absolutely hilarious because Regal is kind of got this look in his eyes like, shit, he's back. Like, I thought <laughs> like I got away with it. Like, you know? <laughs> so I mentioned Hustle, which is something where Tajiri has wrestled for. We mentioned Hustle briefly once. It was in our Awesome Kong episode mm. where we revealed that she wrestled uh, as like a bumblebee of some sort. Ah, in yes. this Hustle, the best I can describe it as, it's like Chikara in Japan in that it involved very fantastical angles and very, very high concept fantasy, sci-fi, wild, weird, wacky stuff. Tajiri was one of the main writers for it and he also was one of the main superstars as he was part of the good guy team of wrestlers who were there to stop the world of wrestling being taken over by, and I quote, the Monster Army, led by Monster General and Monster K. They were a group of monsters who were, shoot, trying to destroy wrestling forever. And uh, Tajiri, unfortunately, at one point, was hypnotized by the mysterious Yin Ling, the exotic terrorist who would uh, mesmerize her opponents, and Tajiri ended up becoming a dark-sided wrestler. And at one point, that lady had poison mist spewed onto her vagina. What? And she gave birth to an evil egg, which then hatched and became a giant wrestler that was Akebono, who was a sumo wrestler. Uh, So there was an evil egg baby. Wow. So, please mist responsibly. 
because... Wear protection. You don't want to get an egg. Now, I'm really sad to say that I've reached out to my various sources uh, who are big into their Japanese wrestling and I've tried as much as I can to find, but so little of it is searchable for us because it's in kanji and it's not in English. Mm. The little bits I've found that I've learned of, I've kind of told you there, but it was a company that ran for several years and Tajiri is very proud of it because he was saying like it was the best American style wrestling and even though it was very crazy and wacky and over the top, they, he felt he was very proud of the product and it was very good. I wish I knew more about Hustle and I would love to do an episode about Hustle to find oh, all about this. Oh, I'd love that. Because, you know, Japanese wrestling is often presented as this very straight-laced, strong style. I think people think that's all it is. Mm. If you think about it, this is the same world, this is the same culture that has such imaginative creativity in anime and manga and film and movies and TV... Obviously, that's going to... Music as well. Yeah, music, exactly. That's going to trickle down into the world of wrestling. And we're going to obviously have some fantastical elements here. There's going to be some tentacles in wrestling. There are. They're in Hustle. And we need to learn more. (laughs) (laughs) After Hustle wound down because of disputes with the financial backers, Tajiri started a smaller promotion that he was the head booker of called Smash. And Smash brought over several wrestlers who Tajiri had been friends with, like Tommy Dreamer and Mikey Whipwreck. But the reason we're going to talk about Smash is we were sent this match by several people and I can't believe it happened. We're always a fan of intergender wrestling here. But Joe, who was Tajiri taking on in Smash for our next and final match? Kana. Who's Kana? Asuka. Ah! Are you trying to be the Empress of Tomorrow and the Japanese Buzzstar are going to square off in a match? Not only are they going to square off in a match... But the circumstances surrounding this feud are fucking ridiculous. Okay, so we're going to say right now, we are ignorant Westerners. And as such, we know nothing. So we tried to watch the promo surrounding the circumstances for this match. And it was in fully Japanese. And other than the font changing sometimes to denote tone of voice and anger. Although when Asuka's screaming, you don't need a red font with fire. You know that she's upset. How did this come about? Set the scene for me, Jill. Yeah, I'll set the scene. Right, so it starts off, Tajiri's in a classroom. I think it's a classroom. There's a whiteboard in the background. Yeah, it's very it's either a classroom or a team-building exercise environment. Yeah, and he's there and he's talking, and then it cuts to, to, to Asuka. I'm going to call her Asuka, even though, obviously, at this point, her name is Kana. Yeah. But for accessibility, for fans who may not be paying entirely attention to this episode... You know, it's on in the background at work, or whatever. We're talking about Asuka, and it's you know it's eight years prior, so it's not multicolor, full hair Asuka with all the talisman of all the people no, she's defeated. This is Beta Asuka. So she's got a, a power suit on, nice haircut, running several successful businesses in Japan. <laughs> and so yeah, we we cut to her, and she's she's in this classroom, and she's talking, and she's wearing these really cool glasses. She looks a bit like a kind of um, like a CEO kind of character. Yeah, it's really cool, like successful business lady. Uh, then it cuts back to Tajiri, and he's wearing like a ill-fitting suit. He looks a bit like he's dressed like a geography teacher. Yeah, he said geography teacher. I said he looks like David Brent. Uh, yeah. He's dressed, particularly because he's doing a cheeky smile. With the goatee. With the goatee <laughs> and a, an ill-fitting shirt and tie behind a desk. He's very David Brent here. Um, and kind of gets, Asuka gets upset somehow. Yeah, he says something. She starts getting really upset. Then they're in a room together in this classroom and they're both dressed like teachers. And she's screaming and yelling at him and crying. It's really emotional. Like, it's a great performance from her. Like, genuine acting. Asuka's screams 
I could listen to Asuka like you could yeah. have her scream for 20 minutes and that would be a promo for Wrestlemania I'll be there you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could have a point of saying ah! yeah cool I'm there my favourite moments in any Asuka match are always when she like says something really angry in the middle of the match in Japanese oh it's such a great goddamn language coolest sounding language ever so yeah they're in this room they're fighting she's kind of crying I say fighting it's verbal not yeah. not wrestling then he he somehow takes her glasses yes and this is a big sticking point yes she's very upset by this font well out the fucking yeah, door now. she's like proper screaming and crying at this point and he's just like then he's in this other room with the glasses and he's like giggling to himself like. he's proper happy that he's got her glasses and she's very unhappy yeah old Tadgers is up to his old tricks here this is definitely a new phase of Tajiri this isn't the sadistic Japanese buzzsaw this is the tricksy annoying office worker who <laughs> takes your fucking shit like now my headcanon for this is that they both wanted to read a book or something and she was like I love my glasses they help me see and then he's like oh, my vision's not as good as it once was those glasses are cool I want to read this newspaper <laughs> <laughs> these glasses are mine now and then I don't know because then it cuts to the start of the match and he makes his way out to the ring and he's wearing her glasses oh, and, it's, and the crowd are like oh I don't know, I've played enough Japanese dating simulators to know that at least one person's got a crush on someone here. But who? Tajiri on, on the glasses. On, on the glasses, maybe, yes. He looks so smug with himself that he's got these glasses and he's doing proper Tajiri crawl catwalk to the oh, ring. Oh yeah, he's all fucking full of trickery and whatnot. And then Asuka comes out and she's fucking pissed. Just like she's got to burst into tears. Yeah. Like, tears of anger. Yeah, like, like proper. Know. It's similar to like your brother steals something of yours or your parents won't intervene. It's like this frustration yes. and the, it's not fair and I that's mine and I'm angry and upset and frustrated and I'm gonna beat the shit out of you now. I love as well here, this is, you know, this is very, very beta Asuka, you know. She's not got all the adornments. She's a very basic ring attire. And there's something about this where it's like the older veteran and then the rookie who's like obviously going to be a fucking megastar, but this older veteran isn't quite taking her seriously, but she just can't fucking you know, manage to get that advantage on him. And it's like you can see the frustration. She's so pissed off. Yeah, They managed to play off this you know we talked before many times into gender wrestling how you know, a little bit weird sometimes they managed to pay off what would oftentimes fall into that oh it's the big strong man especially with the age yeah. gap like he is he's a veteran and as we know he's one of the writers of the show he's one of the bookers of this of this show so there's an inherent weird power dynamic yeah. that could come across very icky if not handled properly but yet something about this it's, it's really interesting. It's it's almost like they're not... Even though they're in the same storyline and the storyline somehow involves Asuka's glasses, it's like they're both in different wrestling shows at the same yeah. time. Tajiri's performance is really comical. Mm. He is like this cartoon villain. Yeah. But Asuka's portrayal, her body language, her facial expressions and the way she's screaming and crying is so real mm. that it seems like something out of a really serious wrestling show. And it's just such this weird like polar opposite portrayal of this yeah. same angle it makes Tajiri seem really fucking cruel though because he's doing this kind of like sing-songy type you know mimicry and all that and that like 
you know, usually if it makes a rest, you kind of go, oh, for fuck's sake. Like, but instead, she's like, ah, she's really fucking angered. Yeah. Hurt by it. Where he's like totally fine. He's trolling her, he's basically. Aloof, like, yeah. Yeah. I wonder the reason why this kind of seems a bit more palatable is that, you know, we've seen into the future. We know that Asuka becomes this fucking world conquering <laughs> hero. And Tajiri is now like an old man doing acupuncture and posting pictures of ramen on Instagram that he's made. It's Being like... aggressively sent pictures of spam by William Regal. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he just aggressively sends her pictures of glass. Instead, like, <laughs> her glasses over and over still got them like. kidnapped <laughs> but I think maybe that in a way makes it's kind of like you know this is part of Asuka's story almost it's mm. like you know she's on her way she's not the empress of tomorrow she's not even the empress of three weeks from now yet you it's know? also quite comforting because they're the same glasses that she wears today yeah. but they are exactly the same so we know so it's got like, them back it's like. safe oh she, she got them safely returned there's a great moment where Asuka does her great hip smash into Tajiri, goes off the apron, and lands into the most comfy looking man in the audience. It's this <laughs> big man in a red shirt, and it's like, like, oh, a lovely like, beanbag landing. It's lovely. At one point, Asuka starts like full on screaming, and it's awesome. It like sends goosebumps down my body. It's like chilling. It's so powerful and cool. And it's a small building as yeah. well. So it really, like, when there's 100, 200 people there, it's, it's so like, loud. Oh, yeah. Immediately, I was like, oh my god, I love Asuka. She's so fucking cool. And then a second later, the tone switches again because then Tajiri does the exact same thing and starts screaming and crying, mocking her. Yeah, she goes, ah, da, da, and then goes, <laughs> and it's so fucking mean. Like. It's so mean, but it's so funny. They both get knocked down and you think, oh, it's a 10 count spot or whatever. You know, they both need to get to their feet. And Asuka is properly fucking the shit knocked out of her at this point. Tajiri, by the way, doesn't take it easy at all. He, he takes her lightly, but when he hits her, it's like full fucking crescent kick to the face. And like, he proper smashes her. And like, she's laying down trying to get up for the 10 count. And then Tajiri just kind of lounges there like he's on a beach. His head in his hands, kind of like kicking his feet. Like he's about to play fucking Dream Phone or something yeah. like that. He's just kicking <laughs> his legs around. Like he's such a little shit. I didn't think I could hate Tajiri in this way. It was such a great fucking dick performance. I still don't hate him. I love him more. Yeah. Like this is just... I, I've always loved a dirty, nasty heel mm. and he makes this so Funny. It becomes like a really interesting thing as well because Tajiri is the bigger person. He's never the bigger person. Yeah. In the match. So even things like when he does the handspring elbow, which is usually kind of like a knockback move, he hits her and she almost gets knocked out of the ring because Asuka here. She's not as muscular as she is now. She's quite, like, svelte and quite light. Mm. So when he knocks into her, it's like, funk. It's yeah. really fucking scary to see. <laughs> Especially because like, I'm so used to Asuka being run into by her opponents and her, because she's got a really solid centre of gravity. Like, just, like, standing her ground, yeah. <laughs> so Tajiri goes for the buzzsaw kick and she grabs his leg out of the air and, like, nearly makes him tap out with this really sore ankle submission. It was around this time I noticed she's barefoot. Yes! What the fuck? Terrifying. So she's got kick pads, but no feet underneath. Yeah. Oh, honestly, I, the barefoot thing fucking scares me, Joe. Yeah. Because Rusev hurt himself bad with it, and there was someone in the UFC who literally, like, their toe snapped off. Ah! Like, it was horrible. Don't and, say like a Kit Kat. Oh! <laughs> but then there was recently uh, Matt Riddle in NXT had a match with Cassius Ono where they, like, bit the toe and stood on it and I literally was like ah! 
I didn't think I had like a phobia of my toe being stood on. I do now. <laughs> I, I just sort of realised it did like. You have nightmares of your feet being bitten. So yeah, I'm kind of, if I had realised that earlier in the match, like you had, I think this match I would have been like, uh, like through my fingers watching it. <laughs> But Tajiri hits a vicious buzzsaw kick and picks up the win. And to add insult to injury... It's so fucking mean. He puts the glasses on. Well, first, yeah, so he he wears the glasses himself. And then he meticulously... Asuka's, like, knocked out in the ring. She's totally dead. Yeah, got the buzzsaw kick to the yeah. head. Yeah, like. he moves her body into the centre of the ring and, like, tucks her legs together. So she's, like, splayed out with her arms, almost like Jesus on the cross. And then, wearing her glasses, bends down right into her face, takes the glasses off, puts them on her face, and for a second I was like, "Oh, that's nice. Yeah, She's I thought it was like kind of, look, giving them back. You, you can't, you're not at my level yet, but yeah. someday type of exactly, thing. Exactly, like, yeah. I'm putting you in your place, but, you know, best of luck to your kid. No. He puts the glasses on her face, and then mists her entirely. Face, body. Yeah, and like, honestly, the mist... Because Asuka is so much smaller, like, basically, usually if you're spraying The Undertaker or Jonathan Coachman, whoever gets sprayed, it's usually the face and neck and shoulders. It's literally head to toe. She is covered. And it's he does it so close that it's thick. You can see the droplets, like, coming down her. And then, to make matters worse, <laughs> he steals the glasses again and wears them. He gives them, takes them back. I mean, come on. Miss them and then wears them. So. And the ultimate insult to injury is the fact that the music that plays is the absolute epitome of you got the bad ending in the game. <laughs> yeah. like, it's all like, da, 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 da. It's really strange. Yeah, Tajiri shouldn't have gotten the win here. That You you messed up. You made a wrong decision earlier <laughs> on. You should have taken the glasses back in the first cutscene. <laughs> Well, Joe, a very different match, both different for Tajiri, very different for Asuka, and very different for an intergender one. Yeah. I'm really glad people sent this our way, and this was a really great thing to see what Tajiri has been up to in, in his post-WWE career. How did you find this one? Loved it. This is one of my favourite matches ever. I could watch this again and again. <laughs> so weird. I Honestly, I think this is perfect. Five stars. Way! I love it. I would recommend this match to anyone it's so good. It's so good. It's very short as well. It's yeah. only again like seven or eight minutes or but thereabouts. But managed to tell this like horrible, funny, heart-wrenching, such a wonderful, weird story. And I'd love if anyone who actually speaks and understands Japanese could actually tell us what happened with the feud with the glasses. Oh man, I'd love that. That'd be very helpful. <laughs> and this is one of those instances, you know, oftentimes we get sent kind of like you know, random standout matches here and there to kind of you know, fill in the blanks for us and I'm always very appreciative of it. This is one of the first times though where I'm like, I need to see the rest of this feud. I want to see Asuka get her revenge. I want to see the next match, whatever it is. Because I know this is a feud that goes on. There's a lot of intergender wrestling in, in Smash. Uh, it did wind down, I think, like 2014 or thereabouts, Smash. It's oh, a shame. But like, I think, you know, Tajiri has managed to find himself... Uh, kind of consistent work in Japan still. He still wrestles here and there. I think his last big hurrah probably was returning for the Cruiserweight Classic. It is sad that he didn't have more of a run. I think, you know, when we were talking with Justine about 205 Live, thinking about some of those great characters in there, I mean, you know, Jack Gallagher and Tajiri having a feud. 
I mean, come on. Am I the only one who wants to see Jack Gallagher protect himself from mist with an umbrella? I mean, <laughs> that would be cool. So I don't want to spend too long kind of being like, oh, I'm, I'm down. I am down in the dumps that he didn't get more of a run. And like, allegedly, the reason they let him go is because they thought they had too many cruiserweights and he was old. So there you go. Fuck off. You As know? if being old has ever been enough of a reason to get rid of any male wrestler previously. Yeah, I know, right? It's it's just, it's sad, but you know what? The fact that he even got to come back and the no, fact that, no, that... If The Undertaker gets to fucking come back at WrestleMania every goddamn year with his hip double hip replacement, then no, <laughs> fuck off. Tajiri should be back. I want to see Tajiri. I want to see good wrestlers who are getting older. Who are aging gracefully. Yeah, who are adapting their style and looking after themselves. Well, I wholeheartedly recommend you check out Tajiri Buzzsaw on Instagram because he is always posting pictures of his acupuncture and his uh, delicious food that he makes as well. Uh, very zen, calming experience, much like following Sandman on Twitter is following <laughs> Tajiri on Instagram. I I definitely, I, I get your, your passion about wanting to see him more. For me, it's coming to the point with WWE where it's like being grateful that you do get to see people at all because so many characters and so many people just kind of get forgotten about. You look at like someone like D'Lo Brown, it's like, yeah, he had his moment, that's it. We're never going to bring him back. You know, you'll never have a moment like that. And when you're someone who they don't have something to prove by bringing you back, you're very unlikely to be brought back. Jeff Jarrett's a wrestler who we've seen on TV a lot recently, mainly because WWE have a little point they want to prove with they can bring people back. But why? Jeff Jarrett's like pointless to bring back. He's not wrestling properly. Oh, he wait. can't wrestle properly. He's just coming out to spell his name. I want to see old man Tajiri. I want to see Tajiri fight Daniel Bryan. I want to see Tajiri fight Asuka again. I want to see Tajiri <laughs> fight literally anyone well Tajiri is definitely from looking at the reaction from the fan base here from the how to universe Tajiri has got a lot of fans still and he is one of the most endearing names in wrestling so let's check out some of your tweets this one from Joe Del Toro the most underrated wrestler ever in terms of influence. When a wrestler's strike sound like a whip with C4 at the end of it, that's thanks to Tajiri. He partnered that with what has to be some of the best use of body language any wrestler could hope to achieve. No one utilised body language the way he did. He moves like an unpredictable cat, one you genuinely can't tell if it's going to snuggle up to you or claw your eyes out. A great example of someone who knows you don't have to be big or talk big to be intimidating. I really, really agree with that. And you know what? It's a shame that as influential as he is in terms of the kicks and all that, I think the Young Bucks and Adam Cole and everyone in between owes probably a lot to Tajiri and the frequency, the idea that you can have several loud, noisy kicks in a match and it not just be the one at the end. I think he owes a lot to that. I wish more wrestlers, though, would be doing the body stance, the movement and all that. It feels like it's a very short list of wrestlers where I could say I could look at just a CGI wireframe model stood in that stance and go, ah, that is this person, you know? It's something we've talked about quite a few times on this podcast, the importance of having a walk Mm. and a stance and a, a certain look. Like you say, you should be able to to see a silhouette of someone's walk or the way they move or just them standing and you should know exactly which wrestler it is. And you know what I love as well? Is that Tajiri, in real life, doesn't stand like that, doesn't walk like that. That is all the character. No, because he's got great posture, hasn't he? If yeah. he's slumched over like that all the time, he wouldn't be nearly as good a wrestler as he actually is. <laughs> Gotta look after that spine. That's true. <laughs> Next up from Goad Phillip. Tajiri was truly special in the fact that for most of his WWE career, he was portrayed as a comedy character. Yet I was never not terrified of him. He's the one friend we all had who never got angry, except that one time that we only speak of in hushed tones. 
And you know what? He has to be really considered one of the most successful Japanese wrestlers of all time. Several tag team championships. I mean, you know, if you're tag teams with Eddie Guerrero, William Regal, that's pretty good caliber. Cruiserweight, light heavyweight champion, hardcore champion, US champion. I mean, he did pretty much all except for the world title. He reached every milestone. And Shinsuke Nakamura, you know, he had all of the kind of as we said before, he had a lot of his greatest moments were kind of behind him or his legacy was already established. Tajiri, I think, really worked from the ground up and established himself. And I really hope that when it comes to remember, you know, there's a great influx of amazing Japanese talent right now, particularly on the women's side. You've got Yo Shirai, uh, Kairi Zane in NXT, who are fucking incredible. And if reasons to be believed, we'll have a lot more Joshi wrestlers heading their way. And I hope that Tajiri is kind of maybe in a bit more people's consciousness and in their mind a bit more because he is he opened the door i think for a lot of japanese wrestlers he proved that you could be comedic and successful and not just be a stereotype i don't think anyone would look at tajiri and think that he is portrayed as a stereotype no. he was given material that could have very easily led to him being a stereotype but he worked beyond that and mm. i think he deserves a lot of credit for that because of him doing that he made it easier for other Japanese wrestlers, I think, to succeed without just being a stereotype. Absolutely, yeah. I think he proved to a lot of old white men yeah. that there's actually a huge amount of things you can do really, really well, even if you don't speak any English whatsoever. Mm. Of course, he could speak English. Little did we know. Like. <laughs> but it shows you just don't have to. This one from The Gutteridge. I was obsessed with Tajiri when he showed up early in my wrestling fandom. He had a mysterious backstory and the most unique moves. So much so that my first ever creator wrestler of myself on SmackDown 2 was called Dazuri, Tajiri's kayfabe English cousin. Amazing! <laughs> Dazuri! <laughs> Uh, I hope he had the comfy pants, otherwise it's not a proper gimmick. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, everyone, for all of your tweets using the hashtag HowToTajiri. And thank you for joining us on this fabulous ride, talking all about the Japanese buzzsaw. I love doing the big names in wrestling with you, and I love filling in all the blanks of wrestling history. But honestly, I think these are the really important wrestlers. This is... The, this is the glue that holds together wrestling fandom, I think. Having people like Tajiri in the corner of your heart. <laughs> and I'm glad that you've got this bloody wizard cat buzzsaw in your heart forever now. I'm very, very happy. You recently did a tweet about your favourite wrestlers, didn't you? Yeah. Is Tajiri on that list? I think so. I can't remember. He should have been. If yeah. he wasn't, then he should be. Watch out, Baron Corbin. Yeah. <laughs> No. <laughs> I love Baron Corbin. And hey, if you want to find out why Joe loves Baron Corbin so much, you can become a $5 backer on Patreon and learn all about how Joe thinks that Baron Corbin is the absolute bee's knees and cat's pajamas. You get access to over 50 bonus episodes detailing all of our pay-per-view reviews going back to SummerSlam 2015. Get to join Joe as she learns all about the main product, watching Raw and SmackDown and the pay-per-views. It is a wild ride going all the way back to the start of this podcast and it can be accessed for just a five dollar backing now at patreon.com forward slash how to wrestling my selfish fantasy booking is i would bring back to jerry to to, to team up with Corbin. why because <laughs> i think it'd be funny Fucking i hell. want my boys together <laughs> i want to see baron corbin get misted i mean that yes yes got yes bald yes built for misted. yes yes and then I want to see them fight. And I want to see Tajiri beat the shit out of Baron Corbin. 
Oh, it would be so funny. To make up for the years of um, Tajiri being William Regal's T-boy, we flip it. <laughs> make Tajiri general manager. Yeah. Baron Corbin is the assistant to the general manager. Fucking, I need this. Instead of cups of tea, you can drink cups of mist. Like, you know, green <laughs> Wasabi <mist>. sauce. Yeah. <laughs> So we are going to be looking at quite a big episode coming up next. It's one that's been requested and is one which, honestly, I think we all need to put aside a lot of preconceived notions and really delve into it. It's not going to be an easy topic by any sense. It's going to be a topic that might make some people upset that we're even doing it. But Joe, I think you and I can both agree it's probably a topic that needs to be talked about. I suppose it does. Hey, don't make me out to be the fucking bad guy here. You. No, no, not a bad guy. I'm just... I just... It's only been a year since Vince and I'm just not sure if I've recovered yet. <laughs> I mean, you, so you think it's going to be on par with the Vince episode in terms of the the power drains from you? Yeah, like, I think it will be. Yeah, it's going to be tough. It will it will be tough, and it'll be weird, and it will require massive amounts of brain energy and empathy where there may not be empathy deserved. I don't know. It's going to be complex. I think it's going to be complex, and all I can say is we're going to put in the exact same process into this that we did with our Vince McMahon episode because our next episode is how to. Stephanie McMahon. We are going to be learning and discussing all about the innovator of hashtag Ladyballs. I'm not sure if she's still going for that as her autobiography title. It's a really bad look in 2019. Really, really bad look. She is, for many people, the self-styled corporate face of WWE and someone who conveniently manages to insert herself into many iconic moments to do with women. Anytime there's a big women's announcement, it seems to be Stephanie McMahon is front and centre. Somewhat have you believe that she makes out that she is the kind of the forefront of this women's evolution. Is that just character and heel work? Some feel that she is the most demasculating, uh, terrible, worst heel ever who serves to do nothing more than to shred down hard-earned babies babyface reactions and to make people like Roman Reigns and John Cena and others seem like absolute pissants. For other people, she is the daughter of Vince McMahon and as a result, she is evil incarnate. But she has also been the head of creative during a lot of very important moments in WWE's history. She's been an executive. She has been involved at the forefront at a lot of big decisions recently. I'm trying to find out with this, Joe. Is she as evil as everyone makes out? <laughs> I don't know that people necessarily I think you will be surprised no, there's no. going to be a contingent right so the thing is you are part of a very deep wrestling fandom like your audience with the Ashley Joe podcast has been watching wrestling for fucking ages yeah. like they are hardcore wrestling fans I've been watching Stephanie McMahon since I was in short pants. Yeah, and I think to lots of people who've been watching Stephanie for their whole lives are aware that she's evil. But I think a lot of new fans aren't necessarily aware of the dark side of Stephanie. There is definitely a dark side there. But similarly, and same with Vince, and we will address this on the she's episode. She's a human, right? She's a human and she grew up in wrestling with Vince as her father. And that is the thing I think is going to be most interesting. Because she's the heir apparent. We talked about Shane McMahon, the, the forgotten son, as The forgotten were. son, yeah. But Stephanie McMahon, she is her father's daughter, yeah. absolutely through and through. And there's good sides with that, I think. And we have to admit it to ourselves, there is good sides to that. I think she has been a force for good in some ways. Which ways? We'll find out. But I think there is a bad side to her as well. And I think... 
I think it's too easy an excuse to just be like, ah, it's just because she's a heel, it's a character, therefore you think she's a baddie and therefore you think she's a bad person. I don't know. I've been fascinated by Stephanie McMahon for a long time. And it's one thing to talk about Stephanie and just to complain about Stephanie, but let's try and fucking understand Stephanie McMahon. And we are after your thoughts, your match recommendations, of which there are a few pretty fucking banging ones along the way. <laughs> and of course, as well, your thoughts, your opinions. We're trying to come at this with the same view as Vince McMahon. Like, who is this woman like? Is she she's someone who's managed to, you know, I think there will be some parallels here, and sorry to invoke the name, between Ivanka Trump and Donald Trump. Yeah. I think there is a similar dynamic there. And I think, quite frankly, if Stephanie wasn't my daughter, perhaps I would be dating her, be that as it may. <laughs> She's not blonde enough. Perhaps not. But, I mean, there is some parallels there in that I think that Ivanka Trump, for instance, is a lot more aware of how she is perceived than her father is. And I think that Stephanie is a lot less fingers in my ears, I'm the top guy so I can do whatever the fuck I want, like Vince McMahon is. Yeah. Stephanie is a bit more assimilated into real life human life than Vince is. But uh, But she still grew up in wrestling. Yeah. Like she was being kidnapped as a just adult. Yeah. In storylines. Like that shapes you. Yes. Growing up with all those people around. And we want to know how it shaped you as well as a fan if you were growing up with Stephanie as a character. I I hate I hated her. I absolutely hated her. Did you even hate her though when she was like innocent, young, naive? Oh no, I loved her then. I like I remember I an early memory of wrestling was me telling my mum and dad I can't come to thing tonight because T- Stephanie and Tess are getting married and I think those two kids are going to make it like you know I was deeply invested. It was the first time I like fell in for a ro- something romantic it was the most romantic thing ever so yeah we're going to talk about that and i want to know like yeah for the fans who've been watching a long time because re-watching old wrestling i'm like what a great heel and like as a kid i hated her and i want to challenge people to do the same look it back at your fandom like do you really hate her was she a good heel how, how was she as a character and a performer because i don't think she gets a lot of credit as a performer no i think it's very difficult as well She's one of the most difficult people in wrestling to separate the character from the self. Because there's a corporate Stephanie yeah. and then there's a character, isn't there? Because even there a real Stephanie as well. Yeah, because you know? like, even with Triple H, you get an idea of who he is as a person. I have no idea who Stephanie is as a person. Mm. She, as far as I'm aware, her human being self is corporate Stephanie. Yeah. But that's just another face she puts on. Yeah. And as well, I mean, we'll have to talk about China as well. Oh, that relates. That's uh, something that we need to have a, have a bit of chat about. So it's going to be a big one, folks. Sell yourselves in. It'll be coming to your ears very, very shortly. Use the hashtag how to Stephanie McMahon. And of course, upcoming episodes, the match list and all recommended viewing will be up as always. Your home for all how to wrestling. HowToWrestling.com Until then, Joe, it's been an absolute fabulous time talking about Tajiri. I hope you've had a good time. I've had a great time. This has been one of the most fun episodes to research and record. Yeah, this is actually one of the first episodes I remember where you were like, this morning, you're like, is there any more matches you can watch? <laughs> like, yes, okay, let's watch some more. This like, is my spoonful of sugar to help the Stephanie McMahon go down. <laughs> Until next time, we're going to be talking about the boss's daughter, How To Stephanie McMahon. It's going to be a goodbye from me, Kevin. And a goodbye from me, Joe. And We'll see you next time on How To Wrestling. See ya!